Welcome to the Nick and Matt Show. Bringing the player interviews you want to hear and the hot topics you want to discuss. Recording live in studio, here's Nick and Matt. <laughs> For our listening audience... You miss out on the intros now. I, we try to do everything that's comparable for both listeners and viewers. But man, there's something in the viewing experience that you don't get translated. That's okay. Intern Ben I, I think, was crazy. I think Ben's intro might have been the best we've had Thank to you. start an episode. Yes, that was good. I'm chewing uh, nice on the Easter celebration. Apparently he prepared for it. Yep. Like I didn't have a clue. He didn't even tell me the last half hour I've been sitting here. Had a surprise. That's that's like cheating right there. What do you it's mean? It's supposed to be impromptu. He brought everybody that's listening. He brought an Easter bunny like face mask or something. Okay. <laughs> there it is. So uh, anyways, this is episode 133. Um, Nick's a little bit late tonight. That's why you see Evan and me up here. Nick's not just sitting quietly in the background. Uh, this is pre- this episode is presented by Cosmic Disc golf. You've heard Cosmic Disc Golf quite a few times. We talked about it. They're paying people to run tournaments. Sounds like a good time. They just had um, three Cosmic monthly tournaments this past Friday in three different states. It's going to be a lot more than that. Um, This is a first in a series of eight events that are going to be held on the first Friday of every month at a specific course. So you can have this at your course. You can get paid to run this as well. Um, these are C tiers, a lot of people going. Right now, they they do this at Maple Hill every month. It's a flex start. It's awesome, a C tier. So get your rating and have some fun, player packs and everything included. Thanks, Cosmic. Um, tonight, if you're here right now looking for Simon, <clears throat> spoiler, he's uh, at the airport waiting for his bags. So <laughs> we'll see what happens. But the plan is to have Simon uh, join the show um, one way or another. We don't want to pressure the guy. But Evan, how are you doing, man? Uh, we got all, all that intro talk out of the way. How are you doing? And uh, what'd you think of this tournament? I'm doing good. I, I got to say, if Simon just had a caddy at the airport, he would have his bags a lot quicker. So, uh, I mean, yeah, of course, shout out to Simon's caddy over the weekend, Nick Carl, who we uh, know very well, of course. Uh, getting the W along with Simon Lazat. Uh, hey, Simon thanked him during the the press conference. And so we talk to Nick all the time. We talk to Simon often, but not all the time. And then Simon gets, or sorry, Nick gets shouted out on the uh, post winning uh, press conference with Simon. And it felt like, hey, like that's part of us a little bit, you know, right? felt, felt slightly uh, like Nick gets like 1% of Simon's win and we get 1% of that 1%. <laughs> so it was really, uh, it, it was cool to, have a moment like that i uh, i agree what a tournament though i'll start with simon's victory uh coming from the chase guard birding the last eight holes uh it felt so eerily similar to mvp open it really did where we're just watching the lead card just no one wants to win I mean, that's that's hard to say but you know what i mean like it didn't look like anyone wanted to win of course they all wanted to win uh but there's just like small mistakes a lot of different places just like we saw at mvp open last year to end the season meanwhile simon's just like la di da let me get birdies on every single hole i can i don't even care and now i'm winning oh my goodness what just happened this is awesome so uh, <laughs> what about so you're gonna give this full recap but if i'm 
not correct. You told me to cut you off pre-show. You said cut you off, so I'm doing it. Yes, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Chase card, conversation. We don't need to get real deep into it, but this was the point I was trying to make a while ago. If Jomez is trying to make, let's say, a living off of being the announced lead card film coverage crew and the future of disc golf is much closer to this. And again, I, we don't need to dig deep right now. But if it's much closer to anybody within the top 10 or 12 could win it, the contracts are going to definitely have to change. It's going to be like Jomez, for instance, would have to get the top three cards or something, you know, like because they must be shaking their heads right now. <laughs> like we just keep missing. Like they're not getting the, the contract that they well, they're getting what they agreed to. But it's not playing out how they would hope, I would imagine. So anyways, just cutting you off. It was a chase card victory. Congrats to Simon on that for sure. Yeah, and I, I'm, I'm kind of curious. To, I'm curious on your point and want to talk to it. Uh, is Jomez does get the, the number one feature card uh, as it's uh, organized. So they still get a benefit mm -hmm. over the number two feature card, which goes to Gatekeeper. And then you also think throughout the tournament, you get the leaders. You get all the, the narratives that go with that. I mean, Chris Dickerson popping up and being the leader going into the final round. They get to have that for the final round. And even with the craziness that we have in the disc golf pro tour right now, you're still likely to have the winner come from lead card uh, over chase card. If it's just, you know, those two cards are the only ones you're caring about. I, you're going to assume it's going to come from lead card, but now we're on this crazy stretch where nothing is making sense. And here I'll drop some stats, Matt, do it. Uh, it's three straight in a row uh, chase card uh, victories. Four out of the last five standard stroke play disc golf pro tour events. Of course, I'm, I'm skipping over the tour championship here because it's not standard and it only has one card for the final round. Anyways, four out of the last five have had chase card uh, winners. Uh, of course, the first one being in this in this series being MVP open that we just talked about. And then we had um, Las Vegas challenge, which was not which interesting enough is the only one of these five that is a four round tournament. Of course, MVP open was supposed to be four rounds for MPO. It was for FPO, but it was only three rounds for MPO. Uh, Las Vegas challenge was the only four rounder and it was the only one that didn't have a chase card winner. And then we get Waco, Austin and now music city all in a row with chase card winners. And they're all three rounds. Uh, so what a crazy trend right there. We've only seen 14 chase card winners ever in MPO elite and major Whoa. history. This is a fun and stat then Evan. <clears throat> Go for it. Who, who on this show has filmed one of 14 chase card victories on the pro tour? It's not yours me. truly yours truly baby i um <laughs> filmed eagle mcmahon at idlewild um throw the round that brought him from chase to victory and that was a really cool experience and i remember being really happy that i'm like yo terry because terry was doing something else i forget he was doing pro tour stuff and i was like yo terry we just captured the winner because he was like terry was like a last minute and i don't i don't mean this last minute in the sense of like the quality but like Pro Tour needed someone to cover Chase. It was like an emergency thing for that event. Terry's like, I'll do it. And then he gets the winner. It was just really cool. I was like, Terry, bro, we just did it, man. We just captured the winner. Um, but so 1 of 14, that's a cool stat for me to hear. I, I was uh, 1 of 14 to film it, I guess. Very cool. Yeah. And and just the three in a row, that's 21.4% yeah. of all Chase card victories have been consecutively in the last three elite events, which is insane to think about. Um, just all the ones that we've ever had in history and just, yep. The, the time wow. is now for it, but, but this is, uh, that's my point. The time is now we'll, we can bring this to another segment later, but like predictions, how many more times this year? Is this the last, what are the odds? So anyways, you can, mm. you can take away the stats. 
Yeah, well, so this is Simon's second chase card win on tour. Uh, that now ties him for the most ever uh, with Paul Macbeth and Ken Climo. And if I say you're tied with Paul Macbeth and Ken Climo for some sort of record, uh, it, it's going to be a good record. And of course, Simon's already uh, in the legends of disc golf conversation. Um, but being here in this, you know, one particular stat is really, really cool. It, one more chase card win and he can have the solo record and that'd be an interesting feat. Um, but uh, Chris Dickerson finishes third, tie for third. There's a, a little bit of a full podium. Uh, he had the lead going into the final round. Uh, Tennessee kid, Tennessee man. I don't know what to say. He's not a kid. <laughs> yeah. I like, how you're like Tennessee man. man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, Music City Open. He's leading the final round by two strokes, I believe. Uh, we had this prepared before the round, not, and of course, not as a jinx, but just like uh, how crazy has the Disc Golf Pro Tour been? Uh, and before this round, out of the last nine Disc Golf, uh, disc, uh, it must have been Elite and Majors. Last nine Elite and Majors, where the final round outright leader had three or fewer strokes, only one of them went on to win. And now that Chris Dickerson wasn't able to get it done and Simon went from the chase card, that now makes it nine of the last 10 times that the final round leader, uh, outright leader by three or fewer strokes. So if you're leading by one, two, or three strokes, you've only won 10% of the last 10 times. And that's Ricky Waisaki at Green Mountain Challenge, uh, Green Mountain Championship. Why am I? GMC. <laughs> Green Mountain, I don't know. Championship. <laughs> Championship. Thank the you. The man. Uh, <laughs> right <laughs> isn't that insane though nine yeah. out of the last 10 yeah. like it, like they say in sports like a 3-1 lead sometimes is the scariest because you kind of get comfortable uh like is a one two or three stroke lead like the scariest lead i mean i, I don't know it, it's it's a lead and that's what i'm getting at you're not tied and you're not blowing everyone away so <sighs> it's a lead but i feel like on the disc golf pro tour right now it's it's almost scary to be winning especially since we see so many new people leading um you know chris dickerson's won before but we saw anthony barella lead late in the tournament and he wasn't able to close it down he's still looking for that first win ezra aderhold was up there uh he was tied for the lead after round one and then was in contention towards the end he's still looking for win number one it has to be scary at any elite stop now to be in the lead when you haven't been there many many times so <clears throat> i watched the masters this weekend as well it was golf overload in the sense of golf with a ball and a stick and golf with a disc um and i i know people always are like they lean one way or another they go why are we comparing it to golf it's not you know anything to do with us others say it's where we came from i think we're probably somewhere in the middle um but when it comes to the golf mindset you don't know who's going to win like out of maybe you'll maybe you'll say the top 15 or 20 but like we saw john rom win now he's a great obviously a great player but what about phil mickelson who shot a, cr a crazy good final round to get second place like yeah he was four strokes out but the point is at any point they're not so far out in golf anymore that final rounds can shift quite a bit if you have a great final round so I think, and I've been saying this for a long time, golf is leading this direction. Uh, disc golf is leading into this direction where the top is going to get stronger and stronger. The percentages are going to start to spread out through instead of the top 5% or 2%, it's going to be the top 20% at some point. And those players are all going to be vying for it on the last day. Now, someone who's sitting in 20th place is going to have to shoot an insane course record to do it. 
but I think you're always going to have this top 20. I think, tell me your initial reaction, Evan. It's going to become more this way, what we're seeing now. I do think it's going to become more this way with the chase card victories. Yeah, I, I think we've talked about this before, and I feel like every time we talk yeah. about it, we have a new reason to then talk about it again. Yeah, it just uh, happened again. It That's just, why. <laughs> it, well, no, no, because it gets like more and more crazy. Yeah, it's not just like okay, yeah, it was. I mean, it was Ken Clamo for a while, and then it was you know uh, a few other names, but then it's been Paul McBeth and Ricky Wysocki for years. You add in a few mix, you add an Eagle McMahon, you add in Calvin Heimberg, you're adding these other s- stars in. But now it's not five names that can win. It's not 10 names that can win. It's like 20-something names that can win. Uh, and every every couple of events, it feels like it gets so much more uh, crazier and crazier for the amount of people that can win. And speaking of one person that can win, hasn't won one yet, but I, just to highlight James Proctor for a little bit, because he's been having a phenomenal start of the season. Last year, he had... Uh, Two top 30 finishes uh, prior to MVP Open, because that's where I'm going to get into the next uh, mm-hmm. little chat. Had European Open finished 20th, which I'm going to be honest, European Open, uh, top heavy major. That 20th it, finishing 35th at Worlds might be considered a better finish. Uh, it's subjective, of course. But he finished 21st at Portland Open, uh, he, he, including coming 68th at Worlds, too, in that. Um, he then finishes 21st at MVP Open. That is his worst finish. Uh, 21st, he has not finished worse than 21st since the MVP Open. Then he finishes 15th at USDGC. He has not finished worse than 15th since USDGC. Then he finishes 14th at Las Vegas. And you get where I'm going. He hasn't finished worse <laughs> than 14th since Vegas. He finishes 10th at Waco. He has not finished worse than 10th since Waco. He finished third at Austin and now sixth at Music City. And of course, these are elite majors. He's had a few silvers events in between. Um, but this run that he's on is insane that he has now had uh, six six straight yeah, six straight top 25 finishes. Uh, he has finished top 15 every event this year and top three out of the last three. He is looking phenomenal. And he's he's a name that we've heard about as kind of a West Coast guy. Get ready for when we hit the West Coast for him to have some good finishes. And now he's doing it not on the West Coast throughout the whole Disc Golf Pro Tour. Uh, and, and really f- very, very cool to see from him. All right, Evan. We talked about, you know, the chase card, Simon's victory. Um you got any other MPO stats or you want to move over to FPO or where you, where you want to go next? Yeah, I'll, I'll drop one more, uh, one and a half more MPO stats. Calvin Heimberg, uh, you, of course, Matt Graham's favorite player. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, obviously probably the best player this year. I mean, I, mm-hmm. uh, not probably, I'd say almost definitely early player of the year candidate. He finishes tied for third as well. Um, that makes it six straight uh, standard elite and major podium finishes for Calvin Heimberg. I'm telling the you, last- man, and I don't like it. I do not like this stat, and, and it's made up. I don't have actual numbers for this. The best player to not have the wins. Like, yes, he has a few wins, but for a long time he didn't, and now he's doing it again. Like, insane player. If you were second, always. This is an interesting thought, Evan. If you were second the whole season at every event, and then it was different winners. I'm not saying it's the same repeat winner, but it's just spread out. Yeah, but you, you were second at every event. You would say that guy is the best in the world. I think there's be no way around it. And I feel like that's what Calvin does most. But hey, he, two wins this year. He's yeah, he's got a great start so this far. year. Yeah, absolutely. And 
you know, I'm on team Calvin here. Mm-hmm. Uh, but do you know the last time somebody in MPO had six straight podium finishes from standard elite and major events? The last time six straight, this is kind of obscure. I mean, you, uh, I, I don't think it's that obscure. Gannon? No, maybe. No, he's had some good finishes. And this is podiums, top three finish. Now we have to go back to 2019 when Paul Macbeth had that heater. Uh, he won six straight events from Ledgestone to GMC, I believe, is the start and end, um, including Worlds in the middle of that. Uh, yeah, just, mm. just World Championship. Mm-hmm. Uh, he won every single one of those, which is absolutely insane. Um, there's a six straight podiums, but six straight wins, too. Um, so this is the best streak we've seen on the podium since that in MPO. Uh, so very cool to see. He is playing incredibly, incredibly well. Uh, I'll, I'll hop over to the women now. Um, Kristen Tatar takes down the victory. By how this, much, Evan? By <laughs> by five strokes. Oh, I forgot about this. Yeah, we were we were having some conversations uh, in our text group. Matt, you said, did you say she's going to win by five or did you just go straight to an over under? No. So... Thank you for bringing this up, Evan, you know, so I don't have to brag on myself. <laughs> oh, yeah, you brought it up, so I'm just adding on to you bringing <laughs> it up. you yeah. serving up the softball to me. So I think it was Sunday morning. I, I, we just, as we always say, we have an awesome little, we have our own little community at the Nick and Matt show. It's our group chats. And I'm going to interrupt you. This was, this was before she really had the lead. Oh, yeah. This was, this was I think what, she first hole started. It might have been hole it might have been hole one or two. Yeah, the like, first hole was could, started, yeah. and I was setting up context in a group chat, and I said something like, hey, like, are we going to have another new winner today? Like, that is very likelihood. Like, it's a high likelihood. And I was just feeding it out there as a story content. And Evan starts giving, this is stat mando for you. Evan Kearns, everybody. He's like, okay, here's like the percentages, like this person, you know, 32%, this person, 25, 20, whatever. And he goes, so like with those numbers out there and Kristen's only part of that, I would tilt my hat or my, my numbers would go towards somebody besides Kristen winning because of how many were in contention. Um, and I said, <clears throat> yeah. And I was like, maybe even Henna Blumroos could possibly have a chase card victory. Cause like Henna, I felt like on a course like this could tear it up. And this was the first hole. And then I sit there and I ponder it and I go, but experience tells me that's the, and I don't mean this generically to everybody, but like experience is going to cause a pressure on the unexperienced, not experienced. <laughs> a pressure will come to the unexperienced. And I don't want to say crumple, but it's hard to keep up with someone who is just a veteran at this point. Now, Kristen Tatar, I sent out a number to the group chat and I said, I think she's going to win by five. And this was when she was still not in the lead. <clears throat> I'll tell you it, what. It Evan, was either tied up or she did grab a one stroke lead. I think it was like hole three or four that you said this, this, but oh, I'm getting, I, oh, the, oh, yeah, I'm getting so, the small details here. Yeah. The small details was, I was like, wow. I was like, this actually might happen. And I said, so I think the number I said would be set at four and a half. I said over under on four and a half. And I said, if that's the case, it's five. But I had already set the number five out there. Here's the point. It made it way more exciting for me to watch. <laughs> I was like, come on, Kristen, get that X down to the last hole. And I saw going into the last hole. This is how I envisioned it. Kristen has this four stroke lead. She's going to end up laying up so she can just tap it in, you know, and everyone else is going to be trying harder. So they might get the birdie. It didn't play out that way. Kristen was able to get the birdie and others bogeyed or parred or whatever. And I was like five on the head. I was so happy with myself. So there you go. That was, that's my, oh, story. also Evan said, 
he was gonna. It was a bet for a hot chip, I believe. Right, Evan? No, 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 no. no. I, I said saw, I I saw hot chip it, and bet, but not. I said not a hot, a hot chip, a one chip challenge. So what's I the said bet? something below that, and and I I did specifically. I don't think we actually said anything after I, I said that. I the next text anyone sent was me saying uh, I didn't shake on it. Chat, what do you think? Should Evan do the bet, whatever it may be? (laughs) We just make it up now. (laughs) It's like there was no bet, and like we just make it up Uh, afterwards. Um, All right, well, let me get into some. uh, Yeah, do that. Here here it is. So here it is. Uh, Just yep. Maybe I can get it up here. This is actual text message here. Uh, I said, (laughs) "Haha!" I over exaggerated (laughs) a bit, and I said, "I love." I have this feeling. She will win by at least five. And you say, I'll take that bet. And then to be clear, no response. <laughs> you said, I'll take that bet. But then there was no response. And he goes, not a one chip challenge, though. And then he says, we Very didn't clear. shake on it. I said, no, you took it. Yeah. And then Ben's the next one to respond. He's like, no, you took it. So there, there's the actual conversation. But that's we can, funny. Look at, how, look at how that lined up. Yeah, we can move along now. But that was funny. I was, I was happy with myself. I, I try to you know, right. capitalize on my success and ignore my failures. <laughs> All right, give us I'll, more FPO. I'll give you a crisp dollar bill next time there I see you. you. But uh, yeah, Kristen Tatar uh, wins. She was trailing going into the final round, which is kind of what we're all talking about right here to go on to win by five. I was curious, is this the largest uh, margin of victory for a player when you trail into the final round? Uh, the answer is no, actually. Uh, Valerie Jenkins, I believe with nine, I was just doing this right before. I didn't have a chance to write it down, but I believe, I think it was 2016 Worlds. She won by nine strokes. Eight, oh my goodness, I'm butchering it, and people hate when I butcher stats, but I'm sorry. I wanted to bring the cool one fresh here, uh, but it is not the record there. Uh, Kristen Tatar now has two wins in her first four events uh, to start the season. Last season, in 2022, her... Uh, fantastic 2022 season uh most obvious player of the year we've had in a little bit it took her six events to win her first event and she didn't win two until her seventh event uh so if you were excited about krista tatar last year um the wins have been stacking up uh earlier uh than last year uh this year so far but but if she so this was storylines play out man this is what we do we talk here i thought if she didn't win yesterday which was a true possibility I was like, man, there's no way she's going to have a year like last year. Things turn kind of quickly. She gets that second win. Now you're going, oh, it could be. But the, the field's getting way tougher. I, I don't know. I, I think we'll have to talk about that more. Is she looking at it at this point in the season? Because I think coming into this, Evan, didn't we say? I think both of us said, we're like, yeah, it's probably not going to have a, a season like last year. But. I don't know. How do we feel now? We we can talk about that later. So keep going. Yeah. And, and Kristen Tatar, of course, becomes a repeat winner uh, on tour this season. She is the first repeat winner. We uh, notably had six unique winners to start the season uh, going back to the wraparound events. Um, and now we see a repeat winner. So uh, we only made it through six events before we hit that. Um, with it being Kristen Tatar, Macy Vela Diaz had a great event. It was looking like she might've been the first repeat winner. She of course won the Lake Marshall open uh, last year as part of the wraparound events. Um, Evelina Saladin got a uh, sixth place finish almost was top 10. Um, she has now uh, finished top 10 in 10 of her last 12 uh, elite or major events. Um, the only two that she missed uh, the top 10, she also missed cash, which were the first uh, two events to start the season being LVC and Waco. I think 
spotlight was on her for those two events and uh her uh, i'll say her her unfortunate putting was very much in the spotlight uh but now she's out of the spotlight a little bit and racking up some top 10 finishes also kona montgomery um had a great round one was tied for fifth that was the first time she was in the top five uh between rounds since the 2021 mvp open so the first time as a uh, dd sponsored player she made a nice comeback, uh, at least in round one. I don't actually have her written on her notes where she ended up finishing, um, but at least had some uh, positive showings. And then uh, I'm, I'm going to talk about the negatives here. I mean, Katrina Allen finished 18th and Paige Pierce finished 27th. Mm. Uh, those two players finishing out of the top 10 is incredibly rare. Uh, Paige Pierce was even lower. I think she was I think she was 42nd after the first round. Uh, her, her first round was uh, 12 over par. I believe that was one of her worst rounds uh of her career uh score to par wise wasn't as bad as throw pink in 2021 um can i can i tell you definitely like, not a bright spot she posted three uh, katrina posted three hours ago we're gonna still wait i think on a page post here but she said a rough weekend she she starts it that way rough weekend uh but i'm not gonna read it all there's a lot of paragraphs here she said she's working to get in this she doesn't quote her true throw back so she's not feeling her throws there she said she threw a shot um for the first time all season that felt exactly how she wanted it was hole seven so she can remember one moment in this tournament where she said there it is but that was it um she said it's going to take a lot more field work and she has a really positive outlook on it you know we talked about mental game she's really working hard here you can see her mental mindset is like i'm not stressed this is what i'm working towards so there you go. And Paige, like I said, we'll have to wait for her. Paige is very positive as well. She's going to make some posts and say, hey, on to the next. I love disc golf. So I don't know. Well, we, don't, we don't have to say it's over yet for either of them. <laughs> it's just it's one of those weeks. Yep. And uh, last stat I got here about at least the Music City Open is uh, Allie Smith finished 10th place. That's 36. Uh, she played 36 points above her rating. She had a event rating of 961 is rated 925. Uh, that's the, the highest difference out of anyone in the top 10 there. Uh, 36 points above your rating. Uh, incredibly good there. Um, outside of the Music City Open. I did want to at least state one stat that is uh, really interesting is for the Statman to official rankings. Paul Macbeth uh, came in at fourth this week. Uh, he dropped out of the top three for the first time since January 2012. I was about to say ever, but that's not true. <laughs> January of 2012 was the last time he was outside the top three. Um, and uh, talking to you guys about it before the show, the official rankings, that's our, our 24 month long uh more of a stable ranking system that you can really look to uh, long term uh, has degradation over time. So more recent events matter more, uh, but it is over 24 weeks. So that being said, a stable ranking system, Paul Macbeth being in the top three for over a decade and now dropping to fourth, I think absolutely remarkable that he had a streak for that long. And, and it's not like the sky's falling either. He's fourth to be clear. Um, but uh, still just an interesting stat there to uh, stay, stay back going on. Oh boy. Oh boy. I'm hearing an I'm echo, hearing Nick. An echo. You're going to have to switch. Nick to switch. just joined the show, everybody. Hold on. Yeah. Nick's going to, Nick's going to, let me, let me mute him. I'm muting him physically here. And he's gone. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, oh everybody. He jumped in and I was hearing this echo. Um, hopefully he gets that figured out, but. Uh, yeah, so we cut you off. Sorry. 
Go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. I was, I was zoning out for I was just going to sit there as long as it took. He just, man, was just, okay. Nice. Uh, that, that was the end of my stat. Okay. So I could I could dig out another no, that's one good. if we uh, want to. But that's a good transition point. I'm sorry. I got there. It's out. good. It's Monday, right? So this goes back to just to expand the conversation about, you know, um, Paige, Katrina. Uh, some saw them as really the only competition to Kristen, but we didn't. We did see. Uh, we saw some back and forth wins last year and whatnot. That was good. Um, but the tournaments where Kristen's on, I don't. Correct me if I'm wrong. What was the last tournament we saw? Okay, it was probably at WR Jackson last year, where it was Paige and and Kristen. Um, like just those two. Or, or I'm just saying where there was this. Yeah, or it could be Katrina too. But my point is with Kristen. Arguably, you would rank them the top three, right? I mean, Kristen, Paige, Katrina. Mm -hmm. Just saying. If those three, I want to see those three, like, vying for the win, shot for shot, clutch putts, clutch drives. And I'm saying, I feel like the last time we saw anything close to that, and again, I'm having, I have short-term memory, <laughs> but... Was that W.R. Jackson last year, the major, uh, the Champions Cup? Was that like the last time we saw that type of play? If we're, if we're talking all three, but I don't know where Katrina was in, at W.R. Jackson last year, but I will say throw pink, which is more recent mm -hmm. uh, in, uh, you know, an XA tier still, but pretty much treated like a major, right. or at least at, at minimum uh, an elite event. Uh, that was Katrina Allen taking it down with Kristen Tatar not far behind. Um, Kristen Tar was in the hunt. Uh, I don't think Paige Pierce was in the hunt as much. I believe it was just those two. But uh, yeah, other than that, I it, it doesn't feel like we've had a true like three way or two way mm -hmm. classic battle. Um, I think we've seen a want. lot of yeah, we've seen a lot of Kristen Tatar in a battle <laughs> exactly um, with with the the, uh, the rising star of that week. I mean, this week was Holland Hanley. We saw Waco. It was Ella Hansen. We've seen in the past it be other players. Um, but yeah, I, th I think you're onto something there, Matt. It doesn't feel like we've had one of those classic, like true classic rivalry battles. Same can be said about MPO though. When was the last time we had a Paul Ricky battle? Right. Um, feels like it's been a while. Right. And that's where the conversation gets expanded a little bit to say that in the FPO, that was my text to the group on Sunday morning. It was, are we going to have another new winner? Because I feel like there's a lot of people in contention and it was including Kristen. Um, and that's exciting. I think I've never been more excited about FPO than I am this season. And it's been getting better. But like this season, I'm actually sitting down to watch it with anticipation. That's that's happening. But I'm saying like, I kind of want that. If you want to use the term battle, I want that battle for the ages again. I want to see the top ranked players being at the top together. So I want to see Paige, and it's asking too much, but Paige, Katrina, Kristen, and I'm sure I'm leaving out a good handful of players there, obviously, Missy and so on. But I'm just talking like these top players, all of those, um, not not everyone having an off week and some on. And like, it's anyways, you kind of see the story I'm saying. And MPO, it's the same thing. This goes to our point. I think it's just where the sport's headed. More people are in contention every week. It's going to be harder to see just that battle between the the same olds, the top ranked, etc. Eagle is even out of form. Like I want to see Eagle Paul again. You know, like you want to see those. It, it will happen again. It just hasn't happened a lot lately. Uh, Nick, can you hear us? Okay. 
I can. Can you hear me? Yeah, and I think the echo's gone, so good job. Okay, cool. I got the headphones to work, so anyways, sorry I'm late. All good, dude. And We've uh, been yeah. tearing it up. Um, no. Evan has to eat a one chip. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Oh, no, okay. One of the comments. Nope. nope. They Can't said, speak it into existence. They said peanut butter in your pants is what? one. Of the, <laughs> one of your, nice. <laughs> nice. That's one of the I, sad part. I don't is, know. Like, I don't know that. how I'd I, verify that. Bet. <laughs> <laughs> or a gallon milk challenge. That was another one. All right. Oh, I would no. do that. So welcome, Nick. We we just pretty much broke yeah. down all the stats for the last 35 minutes. Um, we talked a little bit of storyline in there, mm-hmm. and we just covered FPO. Um, but let's actually take a few minutes for you. Ooh, I hear my voice. You. <clears throat> Gannonburg. Gannonburg. <laughs> um, Matteo, like all these funny things. Yeah. But um, Oh, by the way, we talked briefly about this kind of thing, but Gannonburg had a real chance to push a playoff. Yeah. Simon, I know you're busy getting out of the airport and all that, but if you are listening, yeah. you know you probably had a similar, an ounce of feeling like I did when you saw Gannon skip OB. You're like, oh, that's unfortunate. Yeah. And, and Nick, you might yeah. actually have insight there, but I wanted to go to you, Nick, and interview you on your own show. You nice. were you were a yeah. front row seat to this. And yep. um Evan, me, and Ben were kind of joking. We're like, Nick was kind of maybe like a 1% part of like that win with Simon. And we were like, yeah. because we're part of the Nick and Matt show, we're like a 0.1% of Nick's 0.1%. Yeah, like, exactly. we just felt it. So what was it you, like, you know, dude, you, coming down the backstretch especially? Yeah. Uh, it, so it was kind of wild. So the first two days obviously weren't the greatest weather conditions. Um, decently cold on Friday cold and rainy on Saturday, and the whole place was just mud. Um, tons and tons of mud, stuff to get good grip on your footing and everything like that. And so going into Sunday, where it was the nicest weather and Simon was four back, we actually went out to get some lunch together. And one of the things that we were talking about is he had a game plan for every single hole. He knew what shot he was going to throw on it, and it mostly didn't change depending on the wind. That was really the only thing that could deter it if there was a lot of wind. Um, but the, for the most part, he played all of his shots relatively the same as he did the first two days. But one of the things that we talked about was being more aggressive on everything. There were a lot of putts the first couple of days that he was kind of just floating to get there rather than kind of spinning it to go through the basket. And so that was one thing that we had talked about Sunday morning was to play everything more aggressive. The only way that you're going to score in this course right now is to play it aggressive. It's fair enough to where the holes that have a lot of OB, it's relatively easy to actually keep it in the fairway and then still make a birdie or, a, you know, worst case scenario, making a par. Um, I think a lot of players the whole weekend were making that course definitely a lot more difficult than it needed to be. Uh, but anyways, going down into the final stretch, Simon was a couple down on the front nine and then had the bogey on hole eight, just a shank drive, shank up shot. And then holes nine and 10, he didn't throw good tee shots. And so as we were walking to hole 11 um the first two days he had thrown forehand kind of got lucky through the gap but we were talking to each other and i was like dude you you need a birdie out to have a chance and that was eight straight birdies in a row obviously everyone <laughs> saw that he was able to do that um but it was what really cool because he started, bro you need to birdie yeah. out <laughs> well because he kind of said the same thing and he was like i think i need to ace hole 16 <laughs> to like make this a shot i said no you just you just need a birdie out from here just literally get birdies on everything and you're going to put so much pressure on the other guys on the lead card that hopefully that will kind of make them feel pressured. 
And um, hole 11, he threw a great shot. And you can kind of see the way he played hole 11 through 18. He was actually the throwing the disc on every single shot. And fortunately, he didn't really have to do too many far putts. But each one of his putts was, you know, in the middle, in the heart of the chains at that point. And so he started playing more aggressive and kind of – he wasn't doing these huge, like, Simon lines except for hole 15. And um, other than that, he was still playing really good Simon, you know, actual golf. And then was just playing a lot more confident those last eight holes. And so that was pretty much the biggest thing um, was talking about the game plan. But, yeah, being able to be there front row seat for it. Um, I got to play a practice round with Simon. And so I learned I don't really know much about MVP or Streamline or Axiom. But I got to kind of learn the disc that he was throwing from walking a practice round with him. And then at that point it was, okay, throw this disc. But make sure you're throwing it low of this tree and getting it around around here and so it was pretty cool. It was um, a neat experience because Simon and I, unfortunately, were pretty good friends. And I was able to talk him into shots or talk him out of shots. Wow. And with a lot of people, they probably – and not that I did that. Not that I really ever talked him out of a shot. But there were definitely a couple <laughs> moments where it was like, hole 18, the last hole, um, he'd thrown a shot. And we had no idea where it landed because it was blind off yeah. the tee pad. And so as we walked up and we saw it was in such a good position, it was – I walked right up to him. I was like, dude – you're so good at throwing the proxy, just power the proxy. The top of that ridge is the edge of circle one. So as long as you get over that, you're going to be 15 feet from the basket at that point. And so he actually, you don't see it on the coverage and maybe, maybe on the live, you could see it, but he went to step up to that shot about three different times and he kept stopping himself because the nerves were so kind of incredible in that moment that um he finally stepped back one last time through the shot. And all I had to do was get over that first ridge and below the, um, the low ceiling and uh, yeah, right when he threw it, we all kind of knew it was money, and it was cool. It was very fun to watch being front row with it. Um, seeing one of my friends succeed so incredibly well in the sport is obviously something that's so fun to watch. I've seen so many of my friends have incredible success in this sport that it's really cool to be somewhat of a part of, and then especially to caddy for Simon. Uh, we were kind of joking around. I was like, hey, you come down, you stay here, and I'll caddy for you. He's like, oh, yeah, you definitely can if you want, and then he threw me the bib, the uh, the caddy bib on Friday. He said, all right, job starts today. And and it was pretty much just three straight days of having fun with it. (laughs) Yeah, I can't imagine the pressure in the sense of he's got a lot more going on. And we're hopefully going to be able to talk to him later. I know we have him lined up, but again, he's getting out of the airport waiting on luggage. It's going to be a little bit later. So everyone who's sitting here right now, just sit tight. It it should be here eventually. Um, You know, we're a long show, so (laughs) we'll get there. But um, the idea of like, I have a new bag to this season that I've never played with before uh, as in like this for the season and MVP and the contract. And I don't think he put pressure on himself to go out there and win this season. We'll ask him that. Like I have to do this for the contract, but man, when Paul first did it with Discraft, that was a big moment. That was like a, I proved it moment. Um, And I don't think Paul was trying to prove it, but I think like it was a moment that showed proof that like the archer, not the arrow. And I think the same thing here for Simon, congrats to him. It does that same proof for the viewers um, at home who already probably knew it. But again, it's that actual proof visually. He did it. He won with new disc. Can we hand him a different bag? Yeah. Franklin disc. Can he do it? Like, mm-hmm. like probably. And, and so congrats to him and to watch him come into 18, Nick, you said the nerves are there. We did see the reset a few times and I was like, uh Oh, yeah. um, but then he just launched it and yeah. there you go. Good job. That had, 
it's funny because that actually when he stopped the second time that's he had me nervous on that and <laughs> apologize i was actually just kind of scrolling through the chat um i'm at my girlfriend's place down here in tennessee and i didn't have my podcast set up because originally i was supposed to lead uh earlier this morning and then ended up staying another night so that's why it's all good bad is this side. the famous Sorry, audio is this the famous uh, location for paul mcbeth's interview on smashbox yes wow. yeah same exact location yeah can this become like um, a tourist site like we can just swing by like just swing by well get it's pictures. funny mill ridge yeah mill ridge the course isn't too far away and so it was actually really nice it's anyways so yeah off topic going back yeah going back to hole 18 really quick um simon if you watch simon's videos recently you know that the proxy is one of his favorite discs he likes the proxy over the envy and he's he throws it ridiculously well he'll actually say it's one of the best discs ever made especially when it comes to the throwing putters and so going up onto hole 18 finding where that upshot was it was kind of in between throwing a hex decently hard and making sure because it's a mid-range you're probably going to get that distance that it needs or confidently powering up on the proxy and that to me i think is kind of the better play because you have to throw it harder, which I think sometimes in certain scenarios makes you throw it more confidently. Um, just knowing that I have to throw this at 80% power above this certain line on this certain angle. When you kind of put all those together, I think it definitely does help out in the confidence standpoint. That's big thing that I've been learning lately is I'm noticing I get a lot more power when I'm trying to really hit my drones hard or my buzzes as hard as I can. And it's cool because now I'm confidently throwing those. I'm hitting my angles better. But um, this was one of the biggest things because I'm obviously I'm only a thousand rated. So compared to all the top pros in the world, only I'm, well, well, I'm saying <laughs> yes, like, compared to the everyone, top, yes. the, the top players, like I'm a mere mortal. If you realistically look <laughs> at it, if Simon's a 1040 rated player and I'm a thousand rated player, if we're both playing our averages, he's still beating me by 12 to 15 strokes every single round. It is a different being a low, Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a different tier. You, what tour would good, you be on? Like, you know, there would be a tour corn for players. Theory. Yeah, well, is it actually corn? Yeah. It, Did you maybe, see? I like off topic yeah. a little bit, but on topic again. You were busy with Simon. I was watching the Masters. Now yeah, they have were. it. They have it. You know, they call it amateur in the golf world. I'll say amateur. They had an amateur that that got the position to play. Yeah. And he was shooting the best ever, and he was in like second place going into the third yeah. round. He ended up doing something that no one else had ever done. Um, mm -hmm. There's stats to it, but the point is, yeah, yes, yeah. it can be done. You could go off, Nick. We saw it you at be. Waco. Like we can, like we exactly. can exactly if you exactly. And like I, I'm a good player. I'm mm -hmm. a pretty good player. I have some good wins. I've averaged decent at tournaments, but I also have some really bad plays. I, I shoot very poor rated rounds, and I've done that this year already where I've shot poor rated rounds. So my fluctuation of how good I can be is very different compared to these 1040 rated guys are usually hovering around 1040 for a specific you know amount of time. That's why they're at that level is they don't really shoot the bad rounds as much. But at the same time, even though I'm a pretty average, above average player, I'm a below average when it comes to the professional scene. Um, I can still look at things analytically. I, I know a lot about disc golf. I know a lot about angle control. I've been able to witness a lot of great things happen in disc golf. And that's just from the positions that I've been in, the connections that I've made in this sport, the friendships that I've developed in this sport is I've been able to see front row a lot of these players doing incredible things. Um, you know, watching James's holy shot, watching Paul win his sixth world title, watching Simon win this event. There's a ton of stuff that I've been a part of, and I've been able to learn how players play. And so 
when you kind of, and I don't know if you guys have harped on this a little bit, but you know, when you have the PGA players and they have full-time caddies actually making a living caddying for them, I think it's such a cool relationship that a caddy actually can have with a professional player. Now, obviously I want to be a top professional player. That's what I'm striving to be. But every so often, if I can kind of throw in that caddy bib and help out a friend in any sort of way, it, even if it's literally just carrying the bag and making it so they don't have to carry that weight throughout the three days, then that's awesome. And fortunately with Simon, I was able to actually talk to him about shots, talk him into stuff, maybe talk him out of stuff, maybe reassure him like, hey, yeah, I think that's a good idea. If he says, yeah, hole 15, I threw a great drive, but now I want to throw it up and over the trees. I'm like, dude, to me, that's the dumbest play in the world because there's so much more potential for OB. But go out there and do it. If you're going to throw that shot, commit to it, actually throw it. Like, I would never say, like, oh, I think that's a horrible idea, really. Like, I wouldn't talk him out of the shot necessarily completely. But I would say, you know, look at your other options. You could throw a Tesla straight down the middle. You could throw a Heiser flip at the hex. But if you feel confident going up and over the trees, going up and over the OB, just hit it hard. And that's exactly what he did. He threw one of his best shots on his second shot on hole 15. And then he put it into the bullseye. And from there, it was kind of just like reassuring, I think, was one of the best things that I could do to help him out. And I don't know if he's exaggerating when he says, you know, I couldn't have won this tournament without Nick. He obviously could have. I think I think my little bit of help was carrying him back from him, taking that weight off his shoulders and then just being a friend at the same time for me. I like yeah, I like playing with friends because or like I like if friends are watching me play. Because I can fall back on someone and just say like, hey, I'm not having the round of my life right now, but at least I'm, I'm having a good time. I'm trying to make the best of it. And so if anything, I was able to help Simon out with that. The first two days, there were very lackluster days where the course is so attackable for these players. And for him to go six down, six down, he was pretty bummed about it. And then it was like, okay, well, time to bring back a little bit of the old Simon, play aggressive, hit those putts, and just have fun with it. And that's that's exactly what happened. And so then when we were standing up after hole 18, he tapped out. Um, you were talking about when Gannon Burr threw an OB on 17, I had kind of jokingly asked him, I said, if Gannon Burr throws an OB, that means he has to throw it in for two on the next hole, which is probably not going to happen to force a playoff. I was like, if Gannon Burr throws an OB right now, do we just fist bump? Do we just look at each other and nod? Do we jump up and down? Like kind of joking around about it just because all the cameras were right there, Yeah, which is super weird because all the cameras, they're literally just staring at Simon the whole time. And so you're, like for me, I'm just sitting off and I'm just like, can't do anything wrong right now. Like there's just cameras rolling and it was just funny. So that's why I jokingly asked him, I was like, what do we do if he throws it OB and then you win this tournament? But fortunately, we just kind of talked about it. We're like, yeah, that pretty much should do it. But AB had a chance if he had thrown it in on 18. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was so actually was a bid. Those... AB actually yeah, had still... a bid for what it was worth. Yeah. So there were still all those opportunities where I was just thinking in my head, I'm like, look at the holy shot. Look at when that happened. That completely changed literally on the last shot of the tournament and then a playoff happened. So we were kind of thinking about that where this could happen. And then when AB threw a shot, we know he was tapping in the three or putting for three. It was like, hot damn, this is actually kind of wild. So it, yeah, it was cool. It was very fun to be a part of. Um, I did obviously didn't play this weekend. And as much as I would have loved to play, being able to watch that front row and Simon said it in, in his interview where at no point did he actually really think he was in contention of winning this tournament until all of a sudden he won the tournament. And that was such a cool feeling because throughout the front nine, we were watching scores and he was still three or four back at some points, two back, but he missed the putt. And then you kind of just see it. I was like, you know what? If you birdie out, you give yourself a chance. And then he ended up just throwing the disc 
almost flawlessly. And yeah, it, it was cool. Very cool. Um, I'm glad you were there to talk to us about that. <clears throat> um, main reason being Simon's still at the airport. Um, oh no, is he really? Yeah, he just texted me and for being transparent as we usually are, it's probably not going to end up happening. Things are delayed for him. He's not going to, he, you got to understand the guy's busy and he just got to the airport and he's getting his baggage and everything else. So it's probably not going to happen. If it does, it's jumping him, jumping on saying, thanks for the love everyone type thing. But yeah. so yeah. don't hold your breath, everybody. We do appreciate you here live, obviously. And we do what we can. We just had Simon on last week. Now it would be great to talk to him about the win, but he's a friend of the show, so we'll see what we can do going forward. But big, big time win for him. Nick, it was awesome that you were a part of that. It was funny yeah. um, after he got the trophy or no, it was before the trophy awards. They had the cameras on you and we're texting you. And then we see Nick, you know, I don't know if you guys are seeing this, Evan. We see him yeah. reach out. He's typing and texting. Yeah, I saw I'm like, that too. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. I'm like, yo, Nick's texting us right now <laughs> and bzz, yeah. on our phone. <laughs> like, what's up, Nick? Uh, yeah. I actually didn't know the timing, but yeah, we should have called him and been yeah, like, we should have called him. Yeah. Paul, yeah, yeah, Paul actually did call me. Um, that's what I was on the phone <laughs> oh, with. I think that's, one, when, yeah. that's when Evan said, like, Nick, by the way, we can kind of hear you. He literally oh, called yeah. to say, like, dude i see you crying on stream relax you know it's just a win or whatever and then he's like nah seriously congratulations simon because I, I had put it on speakerphone at that point yeah. and uh so he was just saying hi to simon and you know congratulating him but yeah it was, it was pretty funny it was it was weird because i was in a position to where i'm obviously just a caddy right now and we're walking up they're doing scores and then him and i are just sitting there and he's like so what do we do do we watch coverage so that's when we put the coverage on to see what was going on and uh, I was like, I'm just a caddy. Do I like walk away so the camera's not at all on me? But then um, a couple of the guys were like, no, stay in the 10. Some cool pictures were taken. I met a bunch of the MVP guys this uh, past weekend, and they were super awesome to hang out with. And they got some cool pictures. And it was just a really, really cool moment. Once again, it was, it was such an awesome moment to be there, especially for a really good friend of mine. And to kind of witness everything that goes on in a front row setting to where it's that moment where we're wondering whether he's going to go to a playoff or if he just straight up won from the chase card again. It was kind of like where he was at Maple Hill and he's just sitting off the side. And instead of getting berated by everyone who was out there watching on Holy Team, we just stayed in that tent, hanging out. We were actually watching. There was a darts tournament going on. So once we knew that Gannon had thrown OB on 17, before they were coming up 18, we started watching a little bit of the darts. And um, yeah, it was cool. It, it was such a fun moment. I... I'm very, very thankful for it. I'm very thankful Simon came down to this tournament and I'm thankful that I was able to hang out. And like I said, whether someone said earlier in the chat, um, I probably helped him save one stroke and he ended up winning by one stroke. So if that's all it took, then I can say I, I at least did my job. You, you know, what's funny, Nick, when you went on that phone calls with your cousin, James, and I literally yeah, put yeah, my yeah. phone up to the mirror. I was like, Yo, what up, Nick? Like I was acting, I was talking to you, and I was like, "Yeah, yeah, no, I'm here with James. He's watching you uh, on on." Th and he's like, "Dude, are you actually talking to him?" Like he actually thought I was talking That's to you. Funny. It was so funny. Yeah. Everyone was laughing out loud because yeah. we had like seven people watching it because yeah. it, it was Easter. Obviously, it's family yeah. family oh, function. Yeah. You know, I will I will say Saturday was a crap fest when it came to weather. Like I was actually freezing at the end of that round. And when you're just walking around carrying the bag and you don't want to put it down too much because the ground is completely muddy. It's soaking wet. 
Um, it, Saturday was miserable. Um, had to open up the umbrella for a little bit. Didn't really want to, but had the umbrella opened up. And, you know, that's the day that he was on the lead card. And so it was pretty cool just watching the lead card action. But everyone was kind of in a slump because of how bad that weather was. Until once again, the back nine, Simon got the birdies that he needed to get and put him in a decent position on the chase card. And then being able to watch Ricky, uh, Ricky and his caddy were there. And then um, Calvin and Zach Melton, Zach was caddying for Calvin. And then um, Austin Turner as well. It was really fun to watch those guys also shred the course. Ricky played great minus a couple putts. Calvin was in the mix the whole time minus a couple putts. And then Austin was just playing silky smooth. And I think he said he got top seven or top five at the tournament. So um, it was really fun watching that card because all of them played. All of them at one point had a chance to run away with it. And then a couple holes here and there where Simon did get the birdie, they parred or threw a beer or something like that. And it, it was fun. Yeah. Um, let's talk about uh, a great product, DG Max Wax. Uh, intern Ben, I don't think the lower thirds are going to be somewhere else for the, our, our I got viewers. you, I got you. Yeah, you're going to have to go to studio mode. Yep, and all yep, that. Yep, okay. yep, yep. DG Max Wax. Here it is. I'll put it on camera. Ooh, it's so crispy on the camera there. DG Max Wax. This is their citradelic blend. I think, I don't know if they call it summer blend now. I should have double checked that, but they have one now that is a winter blend. Let me see. I think this is it. Yeah. Oh, yes, it is. Winter blend. Here it is. Beautiful blue. More, I don't want to use the word tacky. More grip enhancing, specifically for the colder months, if you're in a climate where it's colder. Now, Nick, New England team challenge is a thing. Yeah. <clears throat> Our team that I was on, we took second in the A pool division, which is mm -hmm. awesome. We're happy with that. I mean, we won it first, but good job. Yeah. This yeah. came in so handy. Ha, <laughs> pun intended, handy. I used this, this blend of winter blend DG Max Wax the whole day because we had to play three rounds, and our first round was in cold, nearly freezing rain. And I'll tell you what, it was an advantage to the point where uh, someone on my team looked over and they're like, hey, you got that Max Wax? <laughs> and I was like, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. um, I handed them. I had the snap stick with me. I know that's Evan's favorite. And I uh, mm -hmm. handed them the snap stick. They tried it, and they loved it. And it was an advantage. It was an advantage um, my skill's not good enough to make it where we won the whole thing, but it was an advantage for me in those in that condition. DG Max Wax, we love the product here. Uh, all versions of it. Again, when the car gets really hot, you don't want the winter blend. You're going to want that normal blend, but get a couple of these, have them around different bags, different locations, ready to go. DG Max Wax, everybody. Use the code Nick and Matt. Uh, and thanks for the support, Max Wax, and we hope you go and support them. We have a great partnership with them. Um, wow. We could talk all about that, you know, Simon's win and the topic of, like mm -hmm. I said, the archer, not the arrow, all that stuff. Let's move from that a little bit here. If Simon is somehow able to join or he does, I don't think he will. Um, okay, Nick. Oh, that's right. You're not in New England. I was like, why didn't you pick him no. up from the airport? I guess he, no. I, dro I dropped him off at the airport. <laughs> If we weren't recording a show, I would have picked him up. But okay, anyways, yeah. he's he's getting a ride home. There we go. So he just texted me that. Um, moving on from that, unless he decides to 
<laughs> but maybe, I don't think it's going to happen. Maybe it comes happen. on around 8.45. Who knows? I don't, well, I don't think it's going to happen. But Can I we'll just mention him. one thing? Never forget when um, Nick was uh, playing at the Capitalist Open and I was caddying for him and he kicked me off. So there's good caddies and there's bad caddies. Oh, <laughs> uh, I, uh, yeah. I started out like two over through seven and I was just like, dude, I got no rhythm right now. I'm getting filmed and everything. I was like, I'm just going to take my bag back right now. And maybe <laughs> no, get into a rhythm. It's all good. And funny I'm, enough, I'm pretty sure I've, yeah, I'm pretty sure I birdied the next you went three. Off. Yeah. Yeah. He literally, yeah. you, he literally like, went I, off after that. <laughs> like at a green basic round. I parked a short par three and then I parked a long par four. And then I threw probably about like a 550 foot downhill flick on the next hole and put it to where I was jump putting for birdie, like on a par four, I was kind of jump putting to lay it up and easy birdie. And then, then I think I parted the next one after that, but it was funny because it was right, right when I kicked off Ben, (laughs) I felt bad. He, he was hanging out. Uh, I had my buddy Ryan Travis up there as well. We were all just hanging out having a good time. I just, for some odd reason, I don't know. It was weird. I, Normally love having a caddy. Matt's caddy for me in the past, and um, yeah, I'm he's normally, a good caddy. Yeah, it was probably it. it was probably because I was whispering in your ear every time you were put- putting. Don't miss. It's yeah. <laughs> yeah. probably the fact I was whispering. <laughs> Don't miss. Yeah, exactly. So, so who now, knows? Let's let's talk. Like Nick, you've caddied for a good handful of people. I'm gonna give you my huh? short list, and then we can kind of all say like if we have or haven't. But Hannah Macbeth. She asked me to caddy for her out at, um, what was it? It was back when Fountain Hills Memorial Championship was a thing um, on the tour. Still, still a thing, but yes, on the it's tour. It's on the tour? No, it's not on the tour. It's not on the yeah, tour. Yeah. It's still an event, yeah. yeah. That's what I meant. Um, and maybe, like, I've caddied for you, and I think that's it. Uh, you've caddied for Simon. Um, I think you've caddied for Brody. I think uh-huh. you've caddied for Paul. Just yep. give us the whole list, Nick. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I don't know how far it extends actually past that. I've caddied okay. for AB. I've caddied for AB last year at Fox Run on a crappy day. Um, I was there. Paul, Paul a couple times. I caddied for Brody, his feature event out at Waco back in 2020. Um, Simon, obviously, caddied for him. Other than that, um, I've caddied for you, Matt. At the uh, at the was, open amp side, that's the biggest enough, moment. Actually, that was the biggest moment. Yeah. I mean, for sure. Funny enough, it was actually <laughs> came up on my memories. It was like going to watch one of my great friends yeah. play a tournament. This is amazing seeing him in such a big tournament. And I then, know. Funny enough, because years later, I ended up winning that one, and that was the one tournament on the amateur side of things that I always wanted to win in New England was the MVP Open Am side. And uh, anyways, I think I think I've caddied for Hannah before as well. Um, Sexton. Does Sexton? Yes, I've caddied for Nate Sexton. Actually, the first year that I met him in 2016, I caddied for him, and I think he made lead card that tournament. I think the first or second round, he was on the lead card. And then um, Nate Nate was really fun to caddy for because I'm obviously at that, especially that stage of my career, I was not going to tell Nate to do any sort of shot. <laughs> I remember one time he was like, I think I'm going to like flick this dart and like kind of flip it up and turn it over. I'm thinking in my head, I'm like, dude, that sounds like the worst idea in the world, not knowing that Nate is so good at, you know, forehanding darts. And um, he did it to perfection. It was on hole 16, I'm pretty sure. He went off to the left-hand side, had to kind of like get it out, turn it over, 
Um, super cool shot. But and at that point, I was like, okay, I'm never going to tell Nate what to do or don't do because obviously he's way better than I am. And that was back in 2016. So I still played amateur events back then. I, and, yeah, I want to say I'm I'm having things blend together. The sport was a lot different back in the day, and yeah. I want to say. Yeah. I'm I'm struggling. Did I caddy for Nate Sexton at MVP or Byron back in the day? Because I I'm having this recollection about him talking to me about shots, and I want to say I had the bag on my back. I I, I know I was you there. Probably, you've probably caddied for him before. <clears throat> but yeah. the point is, um, we you this is this is a cool topic. Is it becoming caddy collector a thing? Like you're like, bro, I've caddy for every top twenty. Wait, guess who I've caddy for? I think. Maddie, Maddie, that's it. That's um, it. Oh, that's true. You did, Evan. You caddy for anybody? I, I'm pretty sure my number is zero. Okay. I, I can't remember nice. doing it. Uh, you yeah, can caddy for so. me at Worlds. <laughs> oh, let's go, Nick Dibs. Wait, no, 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 no. Sweet. Me, me. Yeah. I need redemption. <laughs> no, no. That's no. Okay, but um, let's do this. Let's throw it to Intern yeah. Ben's topic. I asked everybody to bring a topic okay. tonight, and uh, Intern want, Ben brought. Oh, yeah, Nick, Nick has no, something. It's on go this ahead, topic. It's on this topic, Nick. No, but I, I want to say something really quick because the chat's talking about it a ton. Um, everyone's talking about the donuts, the, the cars, and the sounds mm. they could hear. I, I Apparently, they showed it on coverage. Mm -hmm. It was one of the most annoying things to constantly listen to. I think when you get to about hole seven or eight is where you can really hear it. Um, it was super annoying, but it was consistent noise. And so it wasn't completely screwing with the pros. Um, I think a lot of pros <laughs> are like that to where if it's something consistent, constant happening in the background – it's not as distracting. It's still somewhat distracting as long as it's not something sudden. So the first couple of times, if like a train horn goes off or the car honks yeah. or whatever, someone randomly walks, a dog bark, whatever, um, that's when it's more distracting. But because that was such a constant pain in the ass noise the whole time, um, the pros kind of got used to it. We were all just making fun of the people doing the donuts. But you know what? They're out living their life and maybe it's super cool. Maybe they're filming an awesome video. Who knows? Yeah, who knows? I know, yeah. yeah. I was like, at one point, because I think yeah. I had the volume down, it was Easter Sunday and like we were just hanging out and I'm like, from from a different room, I'm looking over to the TV yeah. and I'm going, are we on the Disc Golf Network? I was really, yeah. I'm like, I'm like, if this is an ad, it's a super weird ad. <laughs> it's just this car doing donuts. Uh, and then eventually I'm like putting two and two together with our group yeah. chat and whatnot. Interesting. So when, when we first heard it, I thought it was just some car dude or car girl who was just straight up revving their engine. And I was like, what What even is the point of yeah, this right now? I've never been super. Yeah, I've never been super into car. I like cars. I like classic cars. I like really nice cars. But I've never been one of those people where I'm going to sit there and do a donut or a burnout forever. and I don't know. I just not, it's just not my style. It's not me. And I know there's a whole crew and click and everything like that for people. And I think it's cool, but it's just not for me. And then when someone had said, I think Evan had said they showed drone coverage and just some dude doing donuts around a dude in the middle who's filming <laughs> yes. it. I was like, man, that better be, that better be the coolest freaking video out there because this is so <laughs> annoying to listen to Wait. on our side. And insane ad, insane ad the disc golf pro tour could do. They get that footage and say, DGN, it's a wild ride. Whoa. <laughs> Great marketing. Yeah. Yeah. Sign them up. Ben. Anyways. Yeah. All right. Anyways, we can go to my go topic. To so this was the topic and I think it's relevant. I think you can open. I'm not telling you how to do it, but Nick shared his experience. Yeah. I think we give ours and then we let Nick cap, right, cap, I'm, finish. Yeah. Up. This is just, okay. this is my topic. 
So obviously golf has caddies. Do you think do we think that this golf has a future with pro caddies? Like that's their full-time job or they or at least they get paid to caddy for these pros like the pros pay them or, or the pro tour pays them. And do you think that pros actually get a distinct advantage the better caddy they have or the debate was could it did it really matter that you were on the back? Could it have just been some random guy and would have Simon done the same exact shots? I'm I'm not saying that's true. I'm just saying like, wh- what do yeah. you think? Do, like, do you think Simon had an insane advantage because he had a intelligent man talking about disc golf with him, um, and and you know laying out the shots and all that? Do you guys want to go first or do we go ahead? No, you, you could open it up because that's a that's a multifaceted question. I think the okay. part about whether gonna, or not you helped or not. Like yeah. you can answer I'm a, that. I'm no, no, answer. not I'm just saying, like in general, it could be yeah. not just you, it could be anyone. Like anyone. Yeah. yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna answer the second question first and then kind of go back to the first part of it. Um the second part is I think Simon had an ever so slight advantage with me as a caddy because one, we're pretty good friends. Two, I know his bag decent enough to where this course was pretty simple. He was throwing the same shots during practice as he was in the tournament. So you kind of learned I could pull out the disc before he even stepped up to the tee pad and just say like, it's one less thing for him to worry about. It's just here, throw this disc rather than him taking out four of them. True. And then now he's playing in his head of, you know, I could throw this. It was, you know what? This is the shot. I know this is the one I want to throw. Like hole one, it's the same disc every time. Hole four is the same disc every single time. Three, two, you know, one, two, three, four. That's how I should have said it. But anyways, um, so I think that might've helped out a little bit is that I can actually talk with him. You know how if, if Simon had some random guy as a caddy, a lot of times that random guy is probably a super fan of Simon. And there are some weird super fans out there. (laughs) And I say that in the nicest way possible, but there are some people that there is a fine line of player versus caddy relationship and not saying I'm not a professional caddy. I don't really know what that is, but like I know when I've had someone random caddy for me before, there are times where, they're constantly wanting to make chatter with the rest of the card mm-hmm. that it's almost weird. Um, and I don't know this guy's name and I don't really know if I should be saying this, but I did see on Twitter, some people talking about Paige Pierce's caddy yes, and being a little I bit too that. vocal with <laughs> their card and not really feeling out the situation of some people like the talk and some people don't like the talk. Like we had a joke the over under of how many words were going to be spoken on the lead card that final round because you had a bunch of the quietest guys out there. And so it was just funny that, you know, you have one person mess up that flow. It's weird. So anyways, um, apparently she has, she has a great relationship with this guy and he's caddied for her uh, multiple times already. So he looked recognizable. Yeah. So I I don't think that was an issue for her. Maybe she reflects back on it and goes, maybe I'm doing reflecting and it doesn't work for me. But like in general, she chose that. So I I don't know what that meant for the rest of the people on her card. Yeah. So, and then to kind of end it, maybe he had the slightest advantage with me on the bag. And then going back to the original topic of it, can caddies, can there be full-time caddies in disc golf? Um, Let's, let's throw out a number. We all know Simon made about $8,000 from this event. And let's say I went to Simon for the event and I was like, Hey man, I want 10% of whatever your winnings are this weekend. I want 10% of your winnings. And that's my caddy fee. If Simon got last place, it was only 350 bucks. And so take 10% of that. I made $35 to go miserably watch someone play bad disc golf and be soaking wet the first two days, pretty much. 
fortunately, I was in the position to where the player I was catting for won the tournament, which is awesome. And if I said I want 10% of that, that's now $800. And that's a pretty damn good work, you know, work week's paycheck. And for me to literally go out there, eat lunch with him, eat dinner with him, and then watch him play disc golf, carry his bag, and maybe help him out a little bit, that'd be awesome. I just don't think there's enough money in the sport right now and enough consistency in the sport right now to where, yeah, I think that's a Bible thing. Now take, take Ricky Wysocki last year. He made a hundred thousand dollars. A couple players, Ricky, Kristen, and Paul all made over a hundred thousand dollars last year in tournament winnings. If you were to say, okay, I was your full-time caddy, Ricky, Kristen, or Paul, I want 10% of that. That's only $10,000, which is a lot of money to go out and be a caddy in the sense of like, that's 10,000 extra dollars. But you also got to think that, you know, it's expensive to fly everywhere or if you're driving, it's wear and tear in your vehicle. There's a lot of different factors that come into it to where this weekend was fun for me because my girlfriend lives, you know, here in Nashville. I was able to spend time with her. I was able to host Simon at this place as well and um, just watch a friend play disc golf. So fortunately for me, it worked out amazing. Um, We'll all joke around with Simon later and say, hey, pay Nick his 10 percent. Just kidding. Don't do that. Um, and, uh, but no, it was fun, but I don't think, I think people will, I know Drew Gibson tweeted months back about wanting to hire a full-time caddy. I have no idea where that's out. I think that's going to start up technically at champions cup or Jonesboro, but, um, yeah, realistically in the sport right now, there's not enough money to where you could legitimately make it a full-time thing. Unless MVP said, Hey, Nick, we want to hire you to be Simon's full-time caddy this is what you get for it, then maybe that's something. Or if Discraft said, hey, Nick, drive Paul around, be his caddy. That's the only time that I could see it actually working out. Okay. Evan, you've been sitting there a while. Um, it's time to bring you back in. <laughs> I know you got some thoughts. No? Any? What stands out to you? Uh, yeah, I mean, you guys were rolling, so it's all good. Yeah, I think uh, I'm going to kind of summarize a lot of what uh, Nick said, but put my own little spin on it. I mean, there's clearly two different kinds of caddies. There's one where it was a little bit more what Nick was doing this past weekend, where it's, you know, more of a coach and what you kind of see uh, when you traditionally think caddy, you know, uh, helping with uh, choosing shots and what the course looks like. And then there's just someone carrying a bag. Um, I, I'm actually really surprised more players don't use the second option, which is just someone carrying a bag. I'm shocked how many players just are, are carrying their own bag for a four or five hour round whatever it was this past weekend those were long rounds it was wet you the days it was rainy you have an umbrella and all these towels i think it's a no-brainer to have someone just i'm gonna say this the nicest way possible but like shut up and carry your bag like that is like the minimum i'm shocked that players don't do that more Mm -hmm. often um and that's something where uh the the pay isn't there for full full-time caddy as Nick went over, but you could go from event to event and have a, a fan come on. And it is risky. Like the scenarios we just talked about, but have someone where you just clearly state, you know, Hey, this is what I'm looking for. A caddy. Are you willing to do it? I, I think overall you're going to have pretty good experiences. And the worst case you could kick them off mid round and say, Hey, take, um, give me that bib. You can't be here anymore. And they'll like, I don't know if the pro tour is at that stage yet where you're you're actually kicked out but like like you know like there there is like some line that you could cross uh but just to have someone carry your bag carry all these extra towels hold the umbrella for you that seems like a no-brainer and you can't tell me that the the players who do have a full-time caddy which is uh, the ones that come to my mind are missy gannon and macy villa diaz who you know they have significant others that carry their bag uh you like that's a huge advantage right there um i i see that being a huge pro and you know 
Kristen Sitar hasn't had a caddy all season and she's done fine. So it's not saying you can't win. Uh, but I, I think it is helpful. And even if it's a stroke per round, I think it's a no brainer. But as far as a caddy who's going to uh, provide a lot of uh, technical value in your shots, I think we're so far away from that. And it's going to be more of one-off scenarios where Nick's carrying the bag for Simon or another player or somebody missed the cut. And so they're caddying for him and they know it well. I mean, like uh, Casey apparently knows Simon's bag just as well as Simon does. Like if Casey wasn't playing and he could do it too, like there's scenarios like that, but they're all one-off scenarios. It's not a full-time year. So I think we're plenty far away from that. Look, I made a joke saying, you know, because of this last weekend, I was like, I might just skip my tournaments that I have coming up during Champions Cup and go down and caddy for Simon again, just kind of for fun, because he <laughs> says he always struggles at majors. And I was like, you know what, maybe I'll help him out and maybe we'll go two for two in the year. And then at that point, I'll start busting his balls about being a full time caddy for him. But um, I think realistically, you look at it from a golf perspective, because you were talking about having random people caddy for your bag. If you go to certain golf um, country clubs and they have caddies working there already, those caddies work there, know the course inside and out. And that's the main thing. They're carrying your bag, but they're also telling you about the course. The green slopes this way, the fairway slopes this way. So you want to hit the ball over here on your first shot and get your second shot up. In disc golf, we don't really have that. And a lot of courses are a lot more self-explanatory. Now, some of the things that I would say to Simon this weekend was, hey, if you're going to miss, miss it left on this hole because it's further away from the OB and you'll have a much easier upshot. So if you're going to try to do a turnover flick shot, force it over and make sure you're missing it to left. If you miss a right on hole two, you're going to go out of bounds and that's no good. Um, so small stuff like that, I think, is kind of key for people to hear. But disc golf courses are so short and so not easy, but easier than what actual golf is played like. So for those caddies, they are super helpful. Um, one of Simon's friends is a full-time yeah. caddy over at the Augusta Nationals course. Jeff and so, Brick. Yeah, Jeff Brick. A wicked nice guy. I met him last year in Emporia, and Simon was telling me all these crazy cool people that he's actually caddied for. He's caddied for Tiger Woods in the past during practice rounds. And I'm like, man, that is the coolest thing in the world. You know, being able to caddy for Tiger Woods or um, I think he said Donald Trump at one point. And I was just like, you're talking about all these famous people. This is that's incredible. That's so cool. Um, if certain courses had caddies, we're just not big enough at disc golf for that yet. Like no course is going to pay 20 kids to, you know, sit there and be caddies. And when people members come up to the courses, hey, you grab my bag and, you know, carry it along with me. I, it's just it, it's not nearly there right now. Right. Um, I, I think I for, agree with that as well. Yeah, I think I, for Yuli, he has Yuli has a full time caddy, um, Brent uh, Hammock, Brett Hammock, Brent Brad Hammock, Ham- or something. Brad Hammock. Brad Hammock. Um, yeah, really nice guy, wicked cool guy, and is Yuli's I think full time caddy. I don't know if there's a video on like what he actually is, but he travels around and he caddies for Yuli. Um, I think that's pretty cool. If you can make it work, I agree with you, Evan. I. I'm surprised at how many top pros actually do carry their own bags, but I'm not surprised at the same time because majority of these people don't have someone traveling around with them to every single event. It's kind of like a one-off thing, like you were saying with Simon and I, um, or if I get the chance to caddy for Paul here, there, it's just because I was able to go to that tournament, be able to spend the week of having fun, hanging out. And I like caddying. I like supporting my friends. Um, when you have these random people caddying for you, I think it's a little bit different because I was talking about earlier that kind of fine line between, you know, 
shut up and don't talk at all, just carry my bag versus, you know, don't be the awkward dude just standing there, you know, talk a little bit. So it, it's just, it's weird. Yeah. So hey, I'll name drop real quick though. It. I haven't, I haven't caddied for anyone uh, <laughs> ever in my life, but one of my good friends and college roommate did, did work at a, a country club uh, throughout college and a little bit after I think. Uh, and so he, he's caddied for some famous people like uh, Peyton Manning and John Elway. Whoa. So nice. that's, that's yeah. some cool stuff right there. Um, but yeah, not me. Okay. So that's my, that's my biggest connection. Nick, I Yo. texted Simon. First of all, this is confirmation, everybody. He will not make it on tonight. We value his, we value his time, his family, his life. We're not yeah. sitting here begging Sorry, at this people. point. <laughs> and like, I want to support. At least we got his caddy, though. Yeah, exactly. That's yeah. second best. Yeah. But I told him, Nick, that you were on our show asking for a 10% caddy fee. And I immediately <laughs> said, I immediately said, ha, 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 just kidding. He responded, yeah. what's his PayPal? So there you go. So just send him your PayPal. <laughs> okay. Let's go. But uh, if, that, if, that, look, if that actually happens, I'll 100 yeah. percent be heading down to Champions Cup. You'll see. You'll see my talents move to Augusta, Georgia, baby. So there's that. But, uh, I wanted yeah. to bring this up because I feel cool. like back in the I've been playing disc golf what 17 years, and it was probably before its time, as in like it wasn't ready yet to be a part of disc golf. But there was something called the Professional Disc Golf Caddy Association, and it has been a thing, and I feel like really? it's been a thing for a long time. Now, I'm on their Facebook right now. Cause I figured there was a website tied to this. Cause I think they messaged me at some point years ago asking about like, maybe I'm interested in being a caddy in the area from April Hill and they're what they're doing. And I'm looking at their, um, uh, their additional information. It says we are a caddy referral and rating system designed to advance the game of disc golf to a new and important level. We are building the largest available pool of disc golf caddies worldwide. Now that rating system is important because if I uh, will pick Simon again, he shows up at a course and he's not as familiar or he just wants someone to carry his bag. He goes to this trusted association and goes, give me a guy who's going to work well. He could even give him like criteria of what he's looking for. Right. And they can say very high rate. This is our best guy possible in that area. You're going to love him. Here you go. So that is a thing that's apparently being worked on. Like I said, there's not a lot of information. There. There's a Facebook page. That's free shout out to them. Go check it out. Maybe you can be a caddy in your area. The other is, as you already mentioned, Nick, there is the caddy association as in professional golf caddy association. And what you're saying is obviously it's just me saying I, <laughs> I was going to say the same thing as you, which is yeah. these players are available. And Jeff Brick, for instance, you brought up Jeff. He's a PGA guy. Uh, you've mm -hmm. seen him on Simon's vlog. So if you're thinking back recently when Simon went down to Florida to play a round or two with his new disc this past season or earlier this season, Jeff Brick was there. Now, Jeff, this is kind of funny. You brought up Tiger Woods in the Masters. Tiger Woods, we all know he's had a uh, a great life of golf and then he's had interesting off-course stuff and now he's he's injured, recovering, all that's tied to that. He dropped out of the final round of the Masters. Granted, he made the cut. He set a record or tied a record to make the cut at the Masters. I forget how many years now. 20-something or 30-something. Yeah. Um, I think 23. Okay. Yeah. It couldn't be 30-something. That's too much. But um, he dropped out the final round. And guess what? Jeff Brick gets brought in to play with, I think they call them... I want to say it's like a Mark golfer or something. It's just a fill-in. It's literally, we want someone to fill in to keep the oh, game nice. fair. 
for that card. So it's not yeah. like a twosome, right? Um, and the pace of play is different and all that. Like, so they put a guy in there and Jeff Brick was the caddy at the Masters this weekend. So I think that was kind of cool. It got brought up. Oh, that's uh, awesome. Yeah. So th- I think the sports future is it's way out before you have a official, as you said, pay somebody they're making decent money or whether it's a living or not that's that's way out yeah but i think this i would like to look into this more the professional disc golf caddy association i think it's a great idea um right now we have social network though social media a player shows up um whoever i mean we've seen brody do it a lot Uh hey Uh i'm i need a caddy let's let's look into who it is and yeah i don't know his vetting system but it's been working out for him Caddies are a great thing if they're the right people. I go back to Hannah just because I've experienced caddying for her. She says, Matt, I like you as a caddy. I don't want anybody else to do it. I wanted you to do it. And I was like, wow, I guess we jive. Like she wants to hear the motivation that I give, but that doesn't work for everybody. I think she even said, and Hannah, correct me if I'm wrong. This was years ago. I think she said something like, I don't want Paul to caddy for me. And Paul, you can correct me too. Like, there's certain people that it doesn't work. And then I'll just give you my experience and then I'll, we can all kind of wrap up Ben's topic here <laughs> is I tried oh, to have goodness. a caddy. Now, granted I'm an am player, but I was playing. I literally played in the Vibram open guys. You will not believe it. I played in the Vibram open one year and I think Evan's going to find it and I'll be on the last card. I didn't get, I didn't finish last, but it was close. And the first round I was like, well, I'm playing in a pro event. I need a caddy. It threw me off so bad to have a caddy. Everything, I think we're talking about, you know, how you jive with the person. That's fine. The guy was great. For me, it's a weird, actual, physical thing where it was like, I pick up my bag. I set my bag down. I look through my disc. It's kind of like a routine. Like, it's, it's yeah. you, you're almost feeling like what Paige said earlier this season. When Paige said, the way I practiced was different than when I came into, let's say, Waco where she was ta- wasn't taking her time or she was taking too much time. Like, this is a pro thing. When I had a caddy, I started treating it differently. I'm like, now my game has to feel all different and I have to take my time and pick the right disc. Don't go back to the bag. Like, you know, it was awkward. So there's a lot that's involved with being a good caddy. Obviously it worked well for you and Simon. You are friends. Uh, you do know his game. The disc selection's new, but I think caddies are cool. I, I think maybe they don't get enough conversation. So yeah. I'm glad we brought it up. Yeah, and I think one one other small advantage that I had um, being a caddy this weekend was I've also met all the other pros that he was playing with. I'm on a first-name basis with them, and so it's not like I'm not fanboying over these players that I get to watch. Austin is a friend of mine. Calvin's a friend of mine. I got to hang out with Zach, who's now part of Descura. Um, and then being able to see Ricky back in action was really cool. Um, he's got a great relationship with the Economoses back in Massachusetts, and so it's it's cool to be there. I'm kind of I'm watching friends compete. It's fun, and I'm not awkward awkwardly standing there like, oh my gosh, this is Calvin Heinberg. He's arguably the best best player in the world right now. Um, so in that regards, I think it's kind of nice and it, it's good friendship. I if I was to have a caddy, let's say like joking around Evan at Worlds, I think that would be incredible because jo- Evan's a friend. Around. <laughs> Well, I mean, yeah, if it, you know, I don't know if you guys are working with Statman or stuff like that. I still, I still got to sign up for Worlds tonight and I have to retake my PDGA rules thing. Um, but anyways, I, I would prefer to have a friend on the bag. And I actually, I would like the opinion on some things. 
uh, or reassurances even of just someone saying like, if I say, hey, I'm going to throw this shot for them to say, yeah, I think that's a great idea. Okay, cool. I like that. Um, I don't need someone saying, oh my God, that's the worst idea in the world. Why would you even think about that? You can't throw that. Uh, but reassurances and just kind of keeping my mindset right, all that good stuff, I, I think is incredibly valuable. Yes. So I will absolutely throw myself under the bus on this one. I was not caddying for Adam Hammes. However, I was able to be as media in a place where players were. Uh, Adam Hammes was performing really well at the MVP Open two years ago, yep. and he won. Let me, okay. Yes, he won. Um, I can clearly remember, and I'm probably on coverage. Now, granted, I was not being a caddy. I, I do think, though, I'm, what I'm about to bring up is to show you, like, man, you got to be on the caddy game if you're caddying. And I wasn't, but if I was, this would have been a bad move. I was hyped. He threw over hole eight, and at that point in the round, it was a big move, and he threw over hole eight, and he parked it. And I was like, I mean, you can't see me if you're listening, but I was like, yeah, yeah. Like, I was like, I kind of like punched him in the shoulder. <laughs> I'm like, bro, way to go. And he, he's like, bro, calm down. Like, I have a lot to do. You know, like, he's in, he's in the competitive mindset. I was a, quote, fan in that moment. But as a caddy, you're an extension of that player, as we know. Valerie Jenkins yeah. and whatever happened, you know, few years ago more or longer now with uh someone had a beer can or something but the point is like you're an extension yeah. you're an extension of the player and that goes to the competitive mindset when you are a caddy you got to have that same you got to know them right so well you got to know do they want to be hyped here do they want to have that even keel mindset what works for this player when do i need to kick him in the butt when do i need to tell simon he has to birdie out right like some players some yeah. players don't want to know that. Like you go back to, I think Missy Gannon talks about um, Tom, her her boyfriend, her partner. Um, she goes, he'll. I know he'll tell me if I need to know something. Otherwise, I'm just playing my game. So like he kind of, it seems to me, he he tends to stay more silent. So everyone has something different, right? And they just use it as a tool. And I think it's an incredible tool because if you don't need to follow the scores and you don't need to know what's going on, and that's an advantage. So caddies can be a huge advantage. Yeah. Absolutely. Look, I, I gave Simon a fist bump after every single good shot that he threw. Even if he, if he part a whole, if he threw OB on the first shot and ended up saving the par, I gave him a fist bump saying, Hey man, good up and down. Not the score that we wanted, but good up and down. Um, if he hit a 20 footer, great putt fist bump. If he hit a 60 footer, 70 footer, like he did on hole two, it's a uh, hell yeah, dude. That was freaking awesome. Great to see. Great putt, you know, dead center, nice and confident with it. Awesome. Just, um, words of affirmation in the sense of affirming that he did something great, not putting him down about anything, saying like, hey man, tough break, bad skip on hole number six. That was a horrible skip. Sucks to suck. You got up and down for the par though. Great job. Um, little things like that. You know, when he shanked a shot on hole eight, it wasn't, dude, what the hell was that? Like I could have thrown that better. It was, hey man, just try to get up and down now. Shank the second shot. Who knows? Maybe you throw in the glitch and you save your par. You didn't do that. You got your bogey whatever still got 12 or 13 more holes to play whatever it is or 10 or 11 hole, more holes to play so just affirming them doing good things hyping them up in certain moments not i mean not in a sense like matt did it for adam where you're punching the dude in the shoulder dude, I, I wanted to be clear i was <laughs> yeah. not caddying for him yeah. i in yeah. that sense i was yeah. like a hype dude and and frankly yeah. he didn't need a hype dude there obviously so yeah. um yeah. 
Let's hey, talk. Matt, going back a second, though, yeah. I, I got to bring up the stats for you. Uh-oh. 141st at Vibram Open at Maple Hill in 2011. You did beat Nick Economos, though. So well done <laughs> there. Um, it's always, for Nick Economos. always that the was 2011. That was 2011. Yeah. Hey, you, I don't, I don't, you, nice. You beat a 15 year old. Yeah. <laughs> uh, four 16. out of your five worst finishes. Feet, no. <laughs> yes. Four of your five worst finishes are at Maple Hill. Uh, wow. That one being the only pro side, the three others um, being AM side. But uh, of course, worst finishes, you know, highly dependent on the field size. Those are the biggest fields. Uh, the only other one was 2011 AM Worlds, where you finished 79th. Okay. Which, again, you've said the story. Ben Askren finished top ten. Yep. Cameron Cole Glacier was second. Interesting enough, too. Yeah, so. I kind of have the chance to play Am Worlds again this year, but it's not going to happen. Bringing my kids to Junior Worlds and Am Worlds is happening out there. So, speaking of caddies, the junior side, in a way, they don't require a caddy, but they require a guardian for children under thirteen. You end up usually doing caddying duty, but depending on how your child is, whether you do or don't. But we talked about caddies a fair amount today. Yeah, a long time. Yeah. It's okay. Yeah, it's interesting. We'll, we'll I think wait, one more one more caddy point. Just to be fair, oh my goodness. I believe Nick 100% did help Simon. I, I just, just did bring, it? Did. Did. 100% did. Nice. I was yeah. just bringing it up as like, you know, I'm the topic guy. Whoa. What's, what's, what are yeah. people going to choose? But yeah, you definitely helped him out. Appreciate it. You should have came yeah. in with a hot take and said you think he didn't. Yeah. No. I mean, Nick, you did a uh, job. I'll, I'll finish it. it out with this. For Simon to say thank you to me during his uh, after the round interview was very, very heartwarming. I is definitely, I think, undeserved, unnecessary, whatever. But for him to say that, Simon... If you guys aren't already fans of him, Simon is one of the nicest people in the world. Every single time I went to get something this week, like pay for a beer, pay for food or something like that, he instantly just, you know, he wouldn't let me. Simon literally covered everything this week when it came to food, drinks, and just hanging out, having a good time, sushi, whatever. Uh, He's one of the genuinely nicest people in the sport. So go support. Everyone loves Simon. Reality show. Let's do it. All right. Before we move into our next topic, which... By the way, some of you may laugh. We we could we can line up a lot of different guests. When we found out Simon wasn't coming on, we could have scrambled. But I think this is a cool show. This is this is fine. Uh, we appreciate everyone's support for the Nick and Matt show, and one of those supporting the Nick and Matt show, but also a product that we love, Double G Jerky. Uh, this is the Smash Crack Pepper in my hands, and I'm sorry for those who don't want to see me eat it, but I'm going to tell you what it tastes like. So I just took a little bite. Uh, intern Ben, tell us. You've just been eating it for the last yeah. ten minutes. Tell us about it. Um, oh, jealous. Yeah, I've been housing it as we were talking about caddies, but it's it's a beautiful blend of cracked pepper and beef. I'm a big peppered mm. beef jerky guy, and I think they Me have too. an ample amount. It's not overwhelming, but you taste the pepper and it's in your mouth, and it's like hmm. This is a nice bite, and and the beef the beef briskets, I was just are high say. quality. They it's, they are they're succulent. They aren't. You can tell they they love their beef. <laughs> They've got the beef. It's like the Arby's thing. But I agree. It's it's a tender jerky. Tender's Which your I thing. Like a lot. This is the only jerky yeah. that my wife gets excited about. She she absolutely gets excited. Legit excited. It shows up in the mail, which you can do. You can subscribe. Get your deliveries, never be out of jerky. It's, it's, I found out recently for me that it gets me 
through the workday because I'm a guy that gets too drawn into my work and I'm not eating and I'm like, oh, there's a piece of jerky. I grab double G, boop, pop it in, take a bite, gets you through another 15 minutes and so on and so forth. It's important to do that for yourself. This jerky is great. Uh, we thank Double G for what they're doing. Uh, they support charities. Um, Paul McBeth Foundation, Good Jerky, uh, Nick and Matt, Code, get you a free gift in your order. Wow. I, I want to eat the rest of that jerky right now. <laughs> I just took the littlest bite, but now I'm like, I want to eat the rest nice. of it. So, yeah, yeah same. Okay. Yeah. Um, I, I got some do quick Simon stats that I should have brought up earlier that I just remembered about, but I'll give you two, two kind of stats and you guys tell me which one you like better. So first off front nine versus back nine splits for this year, uh, on the front nine, uh, Simon's average score, uh, 1.3 down on the back nine, his average score 5.8 down. That's pretty Whoa. cool. Four, <laughs> I yeah. needed to put some music up for that. Yeah. <laughs> or better on the back nine. Yeah. His, his birdie rate is under par percentage on the back nine. 16% better. I, it, I, I don't have the exact numbers. I know 16% is right. It's, it's over 50% on the back yeah. nine. Uh, so then you would be uh, you know, high 30s on the front nine. That, that's incredible. I mean, it, it, it might be, uh, you know, well, I'm blanking on my words right here. Like low data amount. Why am I blanking on that? Um, uh, sample size. Yeah. Uh, but you have the two rounds, of course, the round three of Music City Open, and then round three of Austin as well, where he shot up the leaderboard, didn't get the win, mm -hmm. but shot up into a podium position. Uh, so might be a case of small sample size, but still really interesting. And just to as no, uh, just as a note, last year his birdie rate was 2.77% better during the front nine than it was the back nine. So he played better on the front nine last year. This year so far, playing much, much better on the back nine, of course. Yeah. That's one kind of stat. The other one, uh, looking at some strokes gained, and this is specifically strokes gained just to tour card holders. Uh, overall, uh, on an average uh, basis of a per round, he's gaining 2.54 strokes to, to the tour card field. Not the whole field, just tour card holders, so a little bit elevated. On just par threes, Per, per 18 holes, so if there was a round of just par threes for what he's played so far, he's gaining 0 0.6 strokes. On par four and fives combined per 18 holes, so if there's just a whole, whole round of just fours and fives that he's played this year so far, he's gaining 5.68 strokes. Over five more strokes, uh, percentage is up a lot. I'm not going to do that quick math, but <laughs> 0 0.6 to 5.68. Uh, and of course, there's more strokes to be gained on fours and fives. That is fair. His lead in strokes gained, he's number one in strokes gained uh, par four to fives per 18 holes. His lead's over a stroke per 18 holes, higher than the next person who's Ty Love, surprisingly. Uh, Kale LaVisca, Evan Smith, and then Calvin Heinberg's there uh, at 4.45. That's insane that he's averaging yeah. like a stroke over per 18 holes on par fours and fives. I mean, we know yeah. Simon being a big thrower, uh, but to really see it in the data right there, I think, I think it's really interesting and I don't know which one I like better. Uh, I'll leave it for you guys. Well, thank you no, for sharing those stats. Yeah. Cause I was able to chew on some jerky. <laughs> Dang it. <laughs> Keep going, Devin. Nice. No, it's good. Nice. Um, um, no, it's awesome. I mean, you can kind of see Simon style, the way that he throws for how far he throws par fours and fives will more than likely be Simon's advantages. 
Um, as long as he keeps it in bounds and makes a putt at the end of it, I can totally see. Same thing with Calvin. Calvin has some of the freaking best golf distance I've ever seen. Watching a dude just rip those destroyers out on the course on these just absolute beelines and barely fading out at all at the end of it is so impressive. Um, so, yeah, I can definitely see where those guys' names are up there. It, Calvin's actually filthy. The, these stats are filthy. He uh, he yeah. obviously is filthy too. We know yeah. that. That's that's a given. Uh, his yeah. strokes gained on par threes per eighteen holes are actually better than his par four yeah. and fives. Yeah, and I, he's one of the top players in par four and fives. Uh, yeah. But four point nine four per eighteen holes in par three uh, for yeah. for qualified players, I'll say uh, by far the most. Almost yeah. a full stroke per uh, per eighteen holes over James Proctor. And then a stroke and a half over Paul McBeth, who's in third, if you just say a minimum of two events. Did you guys talk about the course at all before I got onto the show? Did no. you really talk? How how was it? And this is kind of for the chat as well, or if you're listening post-audio, comment somewhere. Um, what did you get? What, was it fun watching this course on coverage? Like, I, I'm genuinely curious about that. I'm just going to give you my my Yeah, I want my reaction. Take. <clears throat> I'm not saying I have information or a stance for why i feel this way but i'm just being honest it did not excite me <laughs> like just straight up it could yeah. be that it was a different weekend for me as a long weekend uh, the masters were on i'm saying there could be a whole bunch of reasons for that so i don't want to say it's because the course was bad i haven't spent the time to deep dive into that evan maybe has a little more but i i did think the aesthetics of like the fox run style out of bounds markers were helpful I could tell where discs were landing, if they were inbounds or out of bounds for the most part. Um, it's possible that the course familiarity was a little bit not there, like the excitement of watching something that is a yep. regular staple on tour. Um, granted, it's been around, but it's not the same. Um, oh. And then on to, to top it off, this is no fault of their own, but the weather brought in this different vibe and feel to even yeah. the, even the on-screen coverage where you're like, eh, it doesn't look like it's the most amazing competition happening. Um, everything did look a little bit muddy or wet. I mean, I was seeing players, either yeah. they were doing a jump putt and they would literally slide like ski forward. Like it was that wet, it appeared. Nick, you would know better than me. Um, uh -huh. And I, I think a text to Evan, because I know Evan has said this in the past. I was like, can't they at least put mulch around the baskets? Like, I just think it, yeah. there's a lot of things that set it up to not be the most like, yeah, this is the one I'm loving to watch. That doesn't take anything away from the wins and the victories, yeah. but I just didn't have that feeling. Uh, some of the holes looked a little quirky. That's okay. But again, mm -hmm. the T pads. Oh, I'll bring up one more thought again. This is where we're at. In yeah. Disc the golf. pads you were talking about. I, this. Yeah. I get it. Like this is where we're at in disc golf. And I'm not saying this is absolutely unacceptable. I'm saying I recognize it's where we're at in this golf, but to see repurposed football um, turf, AstroTurf used, great for the sport. But in the professional picture, if we were to show that on ESPN, and I know that's not the standard anymore, but if we were, there would be new viewers going like, is this like some like poor sport? Like they're repurposing tee pads yeah. uh, or whatever, you know, from like, is that like a donation? Like, I'm just saying the perspective wasn't fully awesome with those tee pads again great for play I, nick did the players love those tee pads like as far as the play goes 
So the tea pads in and of itself, except for on the day that it was, you know, raining and soaking wet and everything was muddy, the tea pads for the most part actually looked like they held up pretty well. I didn't see too many people just completely slipping on them, really slipping too much at all. Um, around the tea pads, there was usually mulch and that actually held up pretty well. They, you know, pretty big piles of mulch. And for the most part, I would say the tea pads were definitely, you know, they're not top tier tea pads, but they were better than some other tea pads that I know a lot of players have played on before. Um, in the chat, someone said, and I even had this thought for myself at one point, I know disc golf, Kristen was going to tee off and there's a literal white line, like halfway through the tea pad, like all the way across yeah. the tea pad. And it looks like it's part of the game, like at the game, as in like yeah. newer viewers and someone in the chat said this, they were asked can they go past that line? Like, is that, like, what does that mean if they do? And I'm just saying for the perception, the, the visual perception, that's all I'm talking about. It was just like, ah, this is like our highest level. Again, I don't know their scenario, their reasoning, their situation, how they got here. I know this is where the sport's at. I'm being picky and that's all it is. So what do you think of it? And and, and I, and I, Go ahead. I was going to say I didn't. I didn't watch every single player throw, and so I'm sure a ton of people actually did slip out there. Someone in the chat is saying Kristen slipped. I didn't get to watch every single one of Kristen's throws. Yeah. Um, from the people that I was able to watch, um, no one had one of those like uh, Ricky did on one forehand shot. He on hole fourteen had a decent slip on the tee pad. Other than that, I don't remember too many of them. So anyway, sorry, Evan. Go ahead. No, that's all good. I mean, to Matt's point of of reusing uh, turf tee pads from uh, likely a football field, uh, it it honestly reminds me of soccer. Being a soccer fan, uh, MLS in the U.S. shares a lot of stadiums with NFL teams, and that would be something that fans would complain about more than anything else is having to share with an NFL team and seeing NFL limes uh, for an. A soccer game and they're they feel like they're the secondary sport and it it's it's insulting to the fans and that's one of the big uh points that people try to make to have either your own stadium or pay enough to redo the turf for soccer games and this feels like the same thing where it it brings into steve stodge point last week too about being at the kids table mm-hmm. you know we understand our uh, our sport is secondary and we do share these venues but you at least want to have the appearance that you don't and so mm-hmm. although it is a minor thing i will say um there's other things about the course that i i think i would rather have them focus on um but I do think it's still a valid point to make and uh, I'll dive into what you said about, uh, about the mulch, Matt, that's the number one thing I would say to this course. And I do totally understand it's likely because of the weather it absolutely poured out there and you have hundreds of players plus spectators walking on it during the rain when it's wet and soggy, you're going to have, it's going to be gross. Like it is going to be gross, but there's ways to, uh, handle it. If you know that you have a lot of grass and there's the capable of mud and the drainage isn't, you know, a plus, you know, Augusta national level, um, you, you have to at least, I don't say you have to at least you, you should, uh, have some plans to, um, at least make do with it. And I think they could have, uh, done really well with more wood chips around the greens mm-hmm. to get rid of that. Sockiness. And the tea pads even just, just a step. Yeah. And there were a few tea pads with some mulch around it. It did look good. So I'm not saying there was nothing, but I do think there could be more of that. I think that's something missing in disc golf the most. When we go to these new stops, which Mill Ridge isn't new, um, this is the third year that Mill Ridge has been on tour. Um, I I don't know how much longer the course has been, you know, an eight tier or or anything else. Um, 
But when we go to these new stops, we always talk about how is the design of the course? Is it making good shots for, for our top men and women? And does it work well for an elite event from that capacity? We're also talking about can it fit spectators? But I do think we miss in the other topic of like how well is the appearance of this? Does it really seem like a first-rate disc golf course? Uh, and I, I think this one overall, I think it had a passing grade. I'm not trying to knock on it and say it was terrible, but I do think there's things that could have done better. Uh, and I think they could have put in more, more wood chips. They could have made the greens look nicer. They could have just had more aesthetics around to make it appear better more than just the obvious things that we always think about. Um, but it, overall, I don't really have a lot of knocks, uh, on mm. the course. I mean, it, it, for everything I'm saying, it sounds like it's more negative than I no. I actually do think it is. It's but for a the perception. Purpose of talking about it. It's a perception. It actually doesn't. How do I say this? It doesn't take away from the event and the competition. We're looking at this right now from a level of growth from outside perspective. That's that's yes. the difference here. The event is fantastic. It was great. There's no no issues with the event. And if you look at where disc golf comes from, how many people listening right now? can imagine at their local course or not imagine. Yeah. I guess think of that bridge that somebody built like homemade bridge or this little walking area or this tee pad that's elevated. Like people are, or the bench, like people are doing this with their own time. They're making, they're creating, and they're trying to, to say, this is ours, right? This is ours. And we're going to do what we can with it, with what we have. That's where disc golf comes from. I do not knock the fact that they have the, I say it again, those turf tee pads that are repurposed. We're looking at it from a different perspective. We're saying advertising. We're saying outside sponsors, people that are new, uh, multiple chat comments are coming and still saying that saying people are like, what are with these lines? Like, what does it mean? Yeah. Um, I just feel like let's, let's standardize it in some way. Let's make it look really pro. Um, I don't think anyone else is complaining and we're not quite complaining. We're just taking a different perspective on yeah. it. So um, I'll pose this as yeah, a question though, unless we're moving on from the course. Uh, I, I am curious on how, what people thought about um, how unique the course was hold the hole. Uh, I, I personally felt that it was, uh, it, it felt repetitive as a viewer, not that actually the shots were competitive. Again, yeah. this is differentiating the two. Uh, but I know Paul Macbeth said similar things about W.R. Jackson, which is a, a, a very um, positive course. A lot of people have good words to say about it. But as a viewer, uh, it is hard to remember all 18 holes. And of course, you're not going to yes. remember all 18 holes, but maybe picking yeah. out, let's say, four to five. Mill Ridge, I like the only hole I can kind of remember. There's two. Hole three, which we can talk about yeah. too. And then the other one, I don't even know what number it is, but I just remember that it was, oh, it was the hole with two gaps. Um, and they, they, the, you know, the commentators kept on saying it. They're like, I, I'm trying to think of like another hole that really stuck out. And I don't think I can, which I think three is the one that stuck out. So I do want to talk about that. But overall, what, what hole with two gaps are you talking about? It was, it was at least for the, for FPO. They, there was a, a tighter gap early on. I think it was a par four landing zone either way. Hmm. I, I, I would have to think about it more because I, like I'm, this is how little maybe, I remember. But I will say. Maybe hole five. Maybe hole five. The one where it's like a short yeah, forehand and then a dog on. legs to the right. Yep. Yep. That's yeah, it. So there's, there's a long. Okay. I, I get I thought you meant off the tee. I get what you're saying now. And I am saying this now, but 16 and 17, if I have my numbers correct, are pretty memorable too, which are, mm -hmm. are the over the water shots, right? Yes. Or yeah. over a creek, maybe. And then uh, over oh, one's over a creek, one's over yeah. a bigger piece of the pond, as you will. Um, about 16. So Simon and I today 
and he'll probably hate me for saying this, but we went back to the course because we were trying to ace hole 16. We were trying to do a phone vlog really quick. So we empty out our bags. He did it four times, and I did it three times. And we only, I think we had two metal hits, and he was the only one to even hit metal on it. I, I missed, you know, every single time. But uh, hole 16, I thought would have been such a cooler hole if it was mandatory to go down the middle. Um, no big hyzer, no big forehand shot, which I get it. It was allowed. It, it was the smart play, especially in the wins that these players have. But for being such a short hole, um, making, forcing every single player to throw down the gut on that one would have, I think, one, I think we would have seen an ace. And two, I think the scoring separation would have been even more than what it actually was. Because if you give if you give Simon 10 discs of the exact same thing, he's not going to miss that island. And, you know, fortunately, like a lot of players got the two every single round during the tournament. I think going down the middle on that one would have been so cool. This is but to kind of. Yeah. Yeah. I was just well, going to say. Kinda, just really quick, <laughs> yeah. Go ahead. Finish your thought. Yeah. Just really quick to talk about the repetitiveness, the par threes all in a row. I think there was four or five of them in a row. The only one that is sticks out to me is hole seven, the really cool downhill one. The rest of them all have, kind of the same shot to where you throw a disc, you try to turn it over just a little bit and then get to the basket or you're doing a power forehand on it. And they're all kind of a little bit repetitive. Yeah. I was, I was simply going to say this goes back a little bit to the conversation that Simon and Steve had last week on our show, by the way, people are loving that podcast. Go check it out. Uh, discussions about disc golf and golf and differences. And by the way, in PR, um, posted a, a link to an article recently i sent it to you evan in the group and it's saying in golf things are getting out of control a little bit the technology is changing the way holes are played and how are they going to shift it are they going to force things to be played certain ways yeah. so this is where you just mentioned that nick like forcing a mandatory shot like i'm not saying you said to do that but i'm saying with that that idea in mind that's where it goes back to again my takeaway is it'd be awesome to see course design that kind of forced that right and and yeah and i don't 100%. know in a scenario with an existing course that's that's tough to do but yeah. rather than putting mandatories and even we talked about drop not drop zone areas but like no run-up areas last week and uh different zones like i finally came away with it after that whole podcast this week thinking through it saying that's like emergency scenario that's like we can't change the whole and we can't create different course design because if you have a brand new course being designed, Dylan Cease, for instance, like cutting it out of the woods, let's plan out or let, I'm sure there's some level of this happening there. If a bad shot happens, how are they punished? Um, are they punished without OB, right? Without hazards, how are they punished? Are there different cuts to the fairway? Yeah. Do we have long yeah. grass that they can't run up through? But if you get off even yeah. further, it's impossible. You have to pitch out. Like, yeah. I think when you're designing a course, you don't want to move towards the disc golf being here's zones. And if you get in these, you can't run yeah. up and all that. But I think course design is going to be a big part of that going forward. I think people are going to think through these things. Yeah. Yeah. So the reason I was asking what you guys thought about this course is because it wasn't on a golf course, which I really appreciated. It was on a, a piece of property. I think Cat Cat Allen months ago or maybe even a year or two ago called this kind of solid disc golf, kind of farm golf. It's very Virginia farm golf, Tennessee farm golf. Like you'd expect to, if you go out there on a casual day, you see a bunch of cows out on that, you know, on the pasture. And, um, but I thought what was really cool about this course was all the grass fairways. And I think instead of making as much OB as there was, 
letting that grass on the side rise up a little bit. So then you have your fairway, which is a nice fine cut. And then you have that taller grass like we were talking about last week. Um, I think that would have been so cool. And it also would have made the course look so much prettier on coverage because on hole four, the first par five, Simon threw a shot the last round and he threw a little bit high, didn't really turn it too much. And I was like, oh, dang, that could go OB because I couldn't see the stakes. Like you could see them if you're really looking at them from where we are standing, but they're not like Fox run stakes where these big white posts that are coming out of the ground, you know, not huge, but these ones were just little plastic tubes coming out of the ground. So I think they could have better stakes, I think would have made it a little bit cooler to look at a coverage, but for how pretty these fairways were and some of the greens, I definitely think that if they had just done like a specific fine cut mow on the fairway and then letting the off the fairway OB area grow a little bit, I think would have been really cool. Cause then you can also now extend your OB a little bit, you know, make it a little bit wider, but if a player lands far to the left, then they have a tougher run up because now it's taller grass. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's a lot of things that are coming up in the chat on this one. Interesting. Thanks for sharing your topics there. We're getting close to the end of the show. Um, A few things that should be noted. Um, Caroline Henderson, a player who's made a splash in the FPO scene as of late uh, was not bombarded, but offered by almost every disc golf manufacturer a contract. And she chose prodigy. Um, with all the recent news surrounding what's going on with Gannon Byrne Prodigy, my reaction was like, huh, I wonder why she did that. And in the interview, uh, she talks about she was offered at least the same as what everyone else was. I don't know if there was a tick like, hey, this got me over the edge. She chose Prodigy. Good for her. Congratulations. A three-year deal there. Um, And she has a real athlete's mindset. I was impressed by the interview. Um, everything from talking about specific form. Uh, I think she comes from a, a baseball softball background um, and is just really able to break down her form in a very technical manner. Um, I think we're going to see the FPO division just explode. And I, and I don't say this is her mindset. I think she, I think she might've mentioned a little bit seeing opportunity in a sport that's young in the FPO field, especially like, Whoa, like I'm not even on tour, but I think I could go out there and compete. That's a huge, like, I couldn't do that, right? And so we saw Ellen Ella Hansen do that. We're seeing Caroline Henderson. We're seeing others that are now like, hey, I actually, I have a chance to go out there and make money and do this. So good for her. Yep. Um, yep. And for then, Prodigy. yeah, Prodigy. Bad for holding a disc. Is Gannon Burr still leaving Prodigy? I was going to text him. I didn't, so we can't have a full conversation because yep. I didn't do my due diligence here. Yep. But I we did have the week. question this week. My question in my head was, is he still leaving? If you had to give your odds right now, how you're feeling, this is just inside of you, how you feel. Is he leaving or not, Nick? Just like your gut. My gut says that eventually he will leave. Eventually. And when I say eventually, <laughs> eventually like that, 2027. Yeah. No, I mean, like, I would say in the next three months, we will not see Gannon with Brock. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I, so that's, that's how you're feeling. Yeah. That's how you're feeling. I. Yep. I am I'm probably 60 40 right now that he's leaving, but I'm getting closer to that 50 50 saying he's just going to finish out the year and not tarnish any one way or the other and and have like he's a stand up kid. I say kid guy 18 now. Right. I, I He's stand up. He cares. He doesn't want to cause trouble. He didn't want to cause trouble. He I think he honestly felt like there were things that weren't getting resolved that he thought was important and 
everyone's learning here. So I don't know. I'm still 60-40. He is. Uh, what do you think, Evan? Is he leaving this year? Yeah, I, I'm more with you, Matt. I, I, I think it's less likely that he leaves during the season, but I do think it's very, I would, I would guess it's very likely he leaves at the end of the season. I, I mean, there's so many variables we don't know. So I want to be clear that mm-hmm. we are being speculative exactly. here. Yeah. Um, but I would assume I'd probably say 70% that okay. he is leaving at the end of the season, but I would put it under, let's say under 30%. I'll keep the 70, 30 split under 30% that he leaves during the season. Oh, you, uh, let's you say, shifted. Okay. If we're yeah. looking across the screen, Nick is the highest. I'm the middle, and you're the other way. So yeah. we'll yeah, see what happens. I'll say before the Pro Tour Championship. All right. We'll say that's the mark. Um, shout out someone in the chat here. Uh, American Virus yep. is Freedom. Uh, $20 super chat. Thank you. We don't always shout these out, but 20 bucks. There you go. Do you think Pro hey, Disc Golf, he, do you think yeah, pro disc golf would be early. better if courses forced the player to play the course as designed or find their own path? and have So this goes to the topic we were saying. is like, Hey, I designed it so you'd play up the middle, and then Simon and Eagle and Rick—they all find this line over the top. It, it should they force players to do it a certain way? That is the conversation. Again, go check out a little bit of what uh, Steve Dodge and Simon—we were talking about last week—the idea of like creating courses to play a specific way. I thank you for your yeah. super chat very much. Um, he this, also yeah, go he ahead. also super chatted earlier, and he said pro level events should have standardized tees, but it is up to the to the pro for what shoes they are wearing, how to deal with the adverse conditions uh, pros will overcome. I definitely think standardized tees and standardized baskets should be a thing of the pro tour. Um, I think the pro tour desperately needs to get away from temp courses. Um, having temporary mm-hmm. baskets on courses, I think looks awful, especially if you have the weather conditions that they had this last weekend, where that little bit of ground movement, now you've got to re-level the basket. You have some baskets that are slightly leaning now. They're also playing on what I don't consider good baskets at all. The amount of spit throughs and cut throughs that I see on that. And for commentators just to say, oh, it's because it was a crap putt. No, sometimes it's because it was a crap basket. And anyways, I'll just go out and say it. So the, the baskets that they played on are not great. I think one of the big things in the sport to further legitimize it, I think, is standardized tee pads. I think would be good, but above all standardized baskets would be one of the biggest things that I think helps push us to a little bit more professionalism. It's going to take a while. Again, it's where we're at in the sport in the current state of the sport. It's where we're at. I think going forward, as I already keep saying with Dylan cease creating specifically on purpose. Now, is he the end all be all with disc golf? Absolutely not. But the model is going to be set with the intention of building a course for a purpose I think Paul's design on throw down the mountain with Dylan is going to be with that intention in mind. Uh We're doing this on purpose. Um, And I think if the pro tour was to say this is 10 years out or five years out where we are going to be. So everybody, you have five years, right. To get on board with this, like give that grace period, but like, here's the target we're working towards. Um, I want to, I want to kind of hit the super chat that came in a second ago talking about should Pros play the courses, how they're specifically mm-hmm. designed or, you know, be able to go over the top and everything. I got a couple examples of that really quick. And the biggest one is on hole 15. It was a long, tough par four. The whole right side is OB. You got to throw a big hyzer, get past the second tree. Anyways, the whole left side is not OB. And so that tree line on the left-hand side, if you are a lefty or a big spike hyzer kind of player, they would actually throw it above the trees on the left and land in 14's kind of field. That's off the left side of it. And they would play 14th field because you have no OB to worry with. You just bomb it down the field. You might have a chance for a three. You're going to probably take an easy par. 
pretty sure Eagle, that was Eagle's play. It was Austin Turner's play. I think Chandler Kramer's play um, with a big forehand over the tree. And then um, kind of talking about that same hole is Simon's second shot the last round. It was lined up so perfectly for such a pretty hex or Tesla shot, which is a fairway driver, right down the middle and just slow fade and park it under the basket, which he did on day two. Um, but this last round, he felt more confident going up and over the trees, which is such an advantage for him to be able to do and consistently and confidently do that shot. I personally just thought for viewership and everything like that, it would have looked so much better to see him just perfectly throw it down the middle of that gap, slow little baby fade, park the basket. He ended up parking it with the over the top. But yeah, I do think that um, the way courses should be designed, and I'm not saying throw Mando up everywhere. I would personally like to see lines get more specifically hit than like hole 17, throwing that forehand or slight turnover over the water, hole 16, throwing down the middle. But players are taking advantage of what skill sets they have. And yeah. I, it's definitely not something to knock from them. I mean, for Simon to be able to show throw the shots that Simon was able to throw that final round is friggin' impressive and would never want to take that away from him. So this might be a wild thought because <laughs> Matt, Matt has wild thoughts sometimes. But as I'm thinking about how to do this, uh, I'm going to ledge stone and uh, I don't know what hole it is at, at Eureka temp. It's the, they're throwing from the bridge as the tee pad. I've walked there. It's a, it's a pretty cool spot. What's the, it's like anybody know that eight, hole? nine or okay. 10 or something, but yeah, everyone can middle, probably visualize middle. it. Throwing from the backside of that bridge or the middle. I forget where the tee pad is exactly. But the point is, do they have a spike hyzer off of that bridge? Absolutely not because of the, we'll call it a tunnel here, but the tunnel they're throwing out of. Um, if we were to get really creative and build tee pads that let's say have a, not a roof, but maybe a roof on them that extend 30 feet in front of the tee pad and you're throwing from inside of a shelter, uh, you're, we'd have to get creative and innovative here to make it look right. But like, that would limit shots from going up over the top. They'd have to throw that. So you can kind of start to force things. I, I, yes, bad idea the way I explained it, but the principle of like creating these areas and ways to kind of control shots without having to do specific Mando go left of this tree, um, it could it could happen. Um, I, I will I yeah. will chime in though and say I'm not the biggest fan of of a Mando that's you know a tree in the middle of the fairway and it feels weird to go around it when it, yeah. there's clearly a better line um, within the kind of obvious fairway. But I I really don't have a problem with Mandos that are hidden that really shouldn't come into play instead of your you're doing something totally specific. I mean, the commentators brought it up uh, and it always gets brought up, but they brought it up this past weekend about Jonesboro. Simon doing the same idea where he would throw onto another fairway. Yeah. I am okay with us having Mandos in those scenarios because you don't see it. Like, yeah, a perfect course should have no Mandos and it should have uh, the course so perfectly built out that you <laughs> have to do what the right. course designer intends. But we also play such a three-dimensional sport that there will always be so yeah. many more options that I really, yeah. if, if it is very uncomfortable, uncomfortable for the viewer to see a whole play a different way, I don't mind having a Mando that doesn't really come into play unless you I, go out of your way. You I'm know? just now one of one of our yeah. one of our chatters quickly said, you know, Bill. Shout out to Bill for commenting and chatting with us on this. Uh, he said, "What's wrong with the, letting the players be creative and find their own lines? We like Simon lines." Bill, I'll completely agree with you on that. I actually do think that it is very interesting being able to watch those things where we're not watching the same shot over and over and over. It's not as monotonous as people would think. 
I just think there are times where, and this also might just be me talking a little bit of bias. This is my own opinion of it, which honestly I shouldn't be doing, but I will agree, Bill. I do think that's a great point of <laughs> not watching the same shot over and over and over. Being able to watch Simon throw that big 500, 450 foot highs or whatever is not as impressive to watch on live as it is actually watching it in person. When you see that in person, you're like, hot damn, that was sick. But that's not, but that shouldn't, how do I put it? Those impressive shots are 1% of the disc golf pro tour population that can even do it. And those scenarios go for it. But when it's a shot that everybody is choosing to take this over the top of the trees because everybody can do it. That's, I think what you're talking about, Nick. So I, and I want to go so, back because yeah. I, I saw the chat and I am I do read the chat and it's it's interesting. I, I, I love I'm, you, chat. Yeah, I'm grateful for that as well. They're like, Matt, that was a horrible idea. But but here's the thing with my idea. The bridge that I mentioned. That is a Mando. It's not an official Mando, but it is. That's how the course designer designed it. They said they have to throw straight through here. They didn't give the option of anything else. Um, I could pick a spot at Maple Hill. Um, whole, I'm just doing it on the fly here. Hole 17. They've pushed it back so far now. There's no other option than to throw straight out of the woods. If they push that tee pad farther forward, there's a lot of different options you could do. The point is that the designers can create these, I'm going to say it, mandos with quotation marks in the air that are not signs on trees, but it's the way it's designed. And I know, Evan, that's what you're saying. Yeah, we could make it perfect. But that's why I brought up that weird scenario with like the, the over shelter tunnel thing, because some scenarios, maybe you can't. And that's too far what I said. But I'm just trying to make this point of like designers can create these mandos without creating these mandos. Like, let's just make it be when we watch a whole play. You don't even know. But the designer forced it to be a certain way. I like that. So um, we're, we're I would say we're over time, but Nick and Matt show doesn't run on time. Usually I want to bring up yeah. last two thoughts is major is right around the corner. That's exciting. Mm-hmm. The first major. I love the fact that this major has been added to the schedule as a fourth and it's the first one of the season and it does have a different feel simply because it's a major. It doesn't have the history yet. It has one year of history, but it's going to be, uh, yeah. I think indefinitely. Do we agree? It's probably going to indefinitely be here. Like it will be at this course forever. I think. I hope I think so. so. Yeah, uh, we're excited yeah. about it. Let's see who takes it down. Uh, maybe we'll speculate next week on who we think does that. Um, other than Matty-o. that, yeah, Maddie. <laughs> Maddie, that. that'd yeah. be make my dreams come true. Um, yeah. Other than that, I think we've made it, Nick. Uh, thank you for coming on. And uh, Simon, obviously, yeah. he feels bad. I do want to pass that along to everybody. Uh, he, we will, we will get him on bad. soon. He feels bad. Yeah. Um, he tried. I'm giving him all the credit in the world. Again, there's a lot going on. Um, <laughs> I want to say, you know, one last thing to kind of talk about majors really quick. When are we going to get a major with a jacket? I'm thinking a blue jacket for disc golf. <laughs> Blue jacket, I think would be sick, but I think we need a tournament like that. Nothing compares to Paul McBeth's white jacket from... Oh, God, the Disco Pro Tour one? Yeah. From, like, 2016 or whatever (laughs) it was. Yeah, that thing was horrid. Um, The rings rings at USCGC USCGC are pretty sick, but, like, the Masters, dude, they got those sick green jackets, and when you have one of those, you are just, like, top tier. Chris Dickerson, last year, Champions Cup. Literally, I think it should be... I don't know. It's actually kind of around the same time. So maybe that, maybe Champions Cup will be like our masters. There's just always stay in Appling or Augusta, Georgia and give them a jacket, gold jacket, green jacket. 
who gives a if anyone knows Happy Gilmore, they know the quote. So, <laughs> I, I will um, say this quickly to get people excited for this first major of the year. Uh, we got Ken Klima with 18 majors. We have Paul Macbeth with 17 majors. Mm, dude, this that just got me one. so excited. A slow, there we go. <laughs> we need a hype video, man. <laughs> for, for Paul Macbeth standards, a little bit of a slow start to the season. Uh, but, you know, when it comes major time, there's always a chance. And and for what it's worth, Paige Pierce, who has the FPO record, also is at 17 uh, open majors from standard play. Um uh, not counting handicap majors uh, in, in the kindest way possible. Uh, so she is at 17 as well. So it could be the open men or women's uh, record tied with Climo if she wins as yeah. well. You know, there's so much more that I, I mean, I know we're not going to talk about it right now, but one of the things I wanted to talk about just bringing it up and maybe we'll talk about it next week. Cause I'll actually be in my own little setup, my own little studio. Um, speaking of majors, Ken Climo on the Tour Life podcast was talking about majors and back in the day how he only had maybe one or two of them a year. And that's why he's only at the 17 mark where he thinks, you know, if there was four or five of them per year like we have nowadays, he'd probably be at 40 of them. You can definitely say that that is a very good argument. And I would say potentially probably back in the day, Ken Climo would have way more than he does if there were more majors. But then one of the other things is back in the day, Worlds was 10 rounds. If you know, players nowadays, if they had 10 rounds to do it, do we see our, you know, James Conrad's winning it? Do we see our Greg Barsby's winning it? Or do we see them kind of fall off and you have the Rickies, the Pauls, the Dickersons rising up to the top after seven, eight, nine rounds? Just kind of cool topics. I don't want to get too much into it. Oh, because you're, you're baiting me, though. You're show. baiting me. Dude, I know. Listen, I think it's a great I, topic. I actually have a James Conrad stat. If we if we can go a little bit longer, if we have go a little let, bit longer, let, let, okay. Let, he baited me enough that I want to just say we're not going to have the perfect. conversation, but I will say my thoughts real quick, just to offer the other side. This show would not be a show if I don't offer another side that people get upset at. That's why I'm here, yeah. guys. Every yeah. time you comment <laughs> with, and you that. hate my ideas, it's yeah. on purpose. We we win. We yeah. get you to comment hating our ideas. So, <laughs> so, yep. dude. And you're going to, it's again, maybe a horrible take, but if I start a sport and I'm not saying Ken did, but he was back there real early on. And like, I just go around winning majors because I'm, I happen to be the best and there's not as many competitors and there, and we just ramp it up, dude, let's have 10 majors this year. So in the future, I'm able to have a lot more. Now that's not what happened, but I'm just saying like, I don't think that argument of like, well, if there was more, he would have won it is a good one. Cause I'm going, okay, great. Who's the field? Like yeah. if we just ramp that up to like a hundred, we've won a hundred. Then we're like, Oh, he's the best yeah. of all time. Well, they had more back then. Well, like, the field. Yeah. yeah. So I think you have to give the respect to the fact that he played the field that was given to him. Like the people who yep. were there, there's absolutely no conversation about that. He is an incredible player. Arguably can be the goat. He can be. I do not know the answer to that. I'm just saying it's fun to debate. That's what sports is. Whether he had few or more or who's the field, we can talk for days on that. Was the technology, the courses, heart? Okay. It goes on forever. That's all. Offering that side of it. Give us a James Conrad stat. All right. It, I, I feel bad about this because it's, it's one of those stats where it's like not a good stat. But James Conrad, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm not teeing it up well here. Uh, James Conrad uh, used to have the second longest active cash streak an uh, MPO for elite and majors at 76 straight events. He started off the season with a top 20 at Vegas and a sixth place at Waco. He ended up missing cash at the open at Austin. And then he missed cash at 
Music City just this past weekend. So now two straight missed cash mm. events after having 70 straight, 76 straight uh, standard wow. elite major cash straight. It was the second longest. Yeah. One behind, uh, yeah. well, not one behind, one, one event, one place behind Nate Sexton. Nate Sexton, who's but, a billion, yeah. Yeah, a billion and a billion. Uh, yeah. But James Conrad also unofficially, uh, as of now, shot a 998 event rating. That's his worst event rating since 2018 and his worst, his only sub 1000 event rating on the disc golf pro tour ever and his worst elite or major event rating since 2007. I'd That's love to insane. shoot 998. Yeah. I mean, same Ben, same, yeah. but uh, yeah, <laughs> for a on, world James, champion standards. So uh, yeah, I, I didn't even notice he missed cash. Yeah. He dropped out from the number two spot two weeks ago uh, after mm-hmm. Austin, but to turn around, have a kind of happy stat. Nate Sexton leads in in uh, cash streak uh, total events. He also has the most cash occurred in consecutive cashed events, if that makes sense. So it, within that cash streak, he has the most cash earned at over $133,000. The second most cash earned in an active cash streak, Gannon Burr with $83,347 earned in this active. And it's just, this is just from standard elite and majors. It doesn't yeah. count toward championship because you automatically get cash yeah. and it's a different format. Uh, that's insane. That Gannon Burr, Mr. 17 years old, if he hasn't turned 18 yet. He's 18. He's 18 now? Okay, still a teenager. No, he's Second a man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, Iowa man. Uh, I just think that's incredible. Uh, and Gannon Burr and Kyle Klein also uh, are tied at 31 straight events, which is the fourth best active uh, gotcha. by total events. So gotcha, gotcha. that's all the stats I got. Yeah. I have run dry. I will, I will give my happy thoughts to end it. I played in my backyard course with my two kids a lot the last couple of days, this long weekend. And I am, it's not hard to play better than me. That's not going to be my point. But I am mind blown, Nick, and I'm serious. I think you, your jaw would yeah. drop too, Evan. Like you've seen it, but like the shot that I'm watching come out of my eight-year-old right now is blowing my mind. And I'm not saying he's going to the moon with disc golf, but yeah. the absolute control, the, the power, and at eight years old, he knows how much angle I want to release this disc with how much spin to do exact, I mean, he's controlling the disc like ridiculously at this point, and I'm super inspired. Uh, he's going to yeah. Junior Worlds, and he's competing in up a division where 10-year-olds, he's competing against 10-year-olds, and I think he's going to have a shot at eight right now. Um, mm-hmm. But I guess my point is, man, put him on a tougher course, because they, they give the 10 and under yeah. pretty easy courses. Thank you, Nate Heinold. I'm not complaining, but they give him pretty easy courses where it's going to come down to throw your shot to the basket, and hit your putt if they put him in the woods like they did on Northwoods for the final nine he didn't hit a tree the whole time and and was pureeing everything i'm like dude give him the hard courses let him play you know his strengths but anyways my my i'm just bragging on my kids uh my son hunter's been doing it for years he's 13 now it's just not as much of a surprise to me anymore but he's throwing nick Again, not hard to do, but he's throwing as far as me on a lot of these woods holes now. <laughs> like, nice. I dude, love it. What the heck? I've already like, lost to him in a tournament, yeah. so it, well, Ben, nice. are you point. playing? Uh, yeah. Welcome to the jungle. I am. 
Okay, well, he's not nice. playing an M1, but I am, so. I am. Oh, we can do another competition. There we go. All right. I, I bet whoever, so whoever cogs, loses though. between you guys at Welcome to the Jungle has to do the one chip challenge. Oh. Imagine Ben has to do it again. I'd bet that. I would bet, bet that. Yeah, you would bet. do it? You would put that on the line I'd with put how that bad on it was. Line. With how bad it was. I put that on. I would be more prepared. I'd go on a, a empty stomach and no. maybe. This is like the ultimate Ben dilemma: is you have Cogs, yes. which doesn't go well if you've seen our YouTube channel, and Meadowbrook, where he's won two events in the past. Yes, so uh, you're going to see some good yeah. rounds and some bad rounds. Maybe. I just got to play really good at Cogs. Maybe both bad. I got to yeah. play good at Cogs. That's all. I know. If I can come yeah, out yeah. eight strokes there, then I've got a chance. Ben, if you need yeah. a caddy, I charge a hundred bucks an hour. So just let me know. That's a good that rate. That's terrible. Yeah. That's cheaper than your rate, Nick. Uh, no. Oh my. No. <laughs> All right. I think of one Anyways, round. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Nick, close this out. Anyways, cue up the music. Everybody, thank you for tuning in on this wonderful Monday night Nick and Matt show. I apologize for being late. Such an incredible weekend, though, being able to watch Simon and Chris and Tatar take it down. Uh, don't forget to like, comment, subscribe on the YouTube channel. Check us out on all your favorite podcast platforms. Tell someone you love them this week. We'll catch you in the next one. That's right. Intern Ben's wearing the Easter bunny mask. He's awesome. Nick, you're awesome. Evan, you're awesome. Till next time, everyone. Peace out. Peace. The Nick and Matt Show, a disc golf podcast designed for you, the disc golfer. Find the Nick and Matt Show on your favorite podcast platforms or join the conversation live on YouTube.